Timothy, Timothy, Timothy. We <laughs> oh, have we have so much to talk about. Wow. Um, but before we get into the obvious, um, we should we should shout out and uh, you know and and keep all of this in perspective that there are still Ukrainians dying and there is a horrible mm. war. That has mm. created uh, 10 million refugees, uh, and and it's you know 10 million people displaced, over 2 million refugees into other other places, but 10 million people without homes in a nation of what 35 million is is disastrous. So let's keep everything in perspective. But yes. uh, this this morning we as we are preparing to, to record this, uh, the news broke that Bruce Willis will be stepping away from acting. Because he has been diagnosed with aphasia, which is a, a cognitive, a degenerative cognitive affliction I had never heard of. But <clears throat> near as I understand it, it, it progressively destroys your ability to both speak and to understand speech. And you retreat into a, a world of your own, an inescapable bubble of, of your own. And it's not, you know, Alzheimer's in the sense that you, you lose connection with the world and forget things. You just no. can't interface with the world, and that, that's just yeah. devastating and horrible. And I and we're sending, you know, the, the reality is not fair. So we we send our our hopes and prayers and thoughts and and very best wishes to uh, to Bruce Willis and his loved ones at this time. Indeed, um, uh, it, it's a hell of a thing. Uh, I am familiar with it somewhat. My my, my wife, my late wife, was a was a psychiatric nurse. Was a, was was all kinds of RN, and she took care of aphasia patients back in the day. It seems like. Uh, sort of an Alzheimer's kind of thing, but as you say, no, you're there, um, uh, and kind of in the same way with Parkinson's, you're there, yeah. uh, uh, but you cannot um, uh, your, your body and all that kind of stuff. Only what did we just say? You just told me how old he is, uh, Bruce. Just he's sixty-seven. I think he's sixty-seven. Yeah. Now, yeah. now, now I'm feeling aphasic. You literally just told me that <laughs> not, 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 not two minutes ago. Sixty-seven years old. I'll be sixty-one in a couple of months. So all these things, you know, they're, they they sit right on top of me, and of course, Bruce. Um, and, and, and you're right. Big picture, big picture, you know, but you know, we're in the movie industry. This is our industry. Yeah. So these are the things that, 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 that we speak of. And, and Bruce is one of those guys that for you and me, he came into the industry and became a movie star, uh, you know, television star, moonlighting, all that. Yeah. And a movie star. And we have experienced effectively his entire career. He has been, yeah. uh, from, 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 like I said, a little bit before <coughs> I even became a professional. Uh, he has been this, this, this fixture as a movie star in my life. Him, Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, you know. Um, uh, and, and, uh, so, so the news, the news is a hell of a thing. For years now, we've, we've been poking at Bruce about making, you know, making those, those Bruce Willis movies that he, that he's come to make over the last, I don't know, whatever, five, six, seven, eight years, uh, where he, you know, would pretty much just go in for the payday. Yeah. Walk around, slap somebody around, shoot, shoot a few people and, Say something, die hardy, <laughs> and yeah. uh, and go home. And and I, you know, look, I never get mad at, at at actors when if they if that's where they decide to go, if they grow into that uh, and decide, look, I'm going to get paid, I'm going to take care of the kids, uh, you know, and and um, I'm not going to not going to concern myself with that Oscar ceremony anymore. Bruce ain't been to the Oscars in 15 years, um, so yeah, you know, you gotta, I you, you got to keep working. You, you, yeah, you, you got to keep working. You got to stay sane. You know, I used to make fun of uh, Shelley Winters because she went from being a sex bomb to mm. a great character actress, you know, winning a, and getting nominated for Academy Awards. 
eventually to being that old lady who wore a muumuu and played the evil sorority mom in satanic sorority movies <laughs> and, and played and, him, played him, played her damn well oh she played did. him so well and uh you know i i was privileged to meet her uh on a very very funny press day for the pickle paul mazursky's the pickle oh yeah uh, which was i think it might have been her last movie but it was uh it was a very uh. funny press day and she was just delightful yeah. So, so you know, so. Bruce wishing wishing Bruce the best. Yeah. Uh, well, not not, not um, quote Bruce. Anymore. Let's let's migrate to the that of which we shall not speak. <laughs> uh, the the otherwise known as the, the Sunday's ninety fourth annual Academy Awards, uh, or as some will have been chosen to characterize it, the slap heard around the world. Yeah. Um, I will just preface this by saying that uh, it was already the worst Oscar show I've ever seen in my lifetime before that happened. That simply gained it immortality. Um, so <laughs> it was a terrible show, wasn't it? And you know what? I, I don't mind talking about that first. Let's 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 set let's set Big Willie and Chris over here for a second. Everybody's been talking about it for three days. That Oscar program, <clears throat> uh, all of that crap withstanding, was terrible. The writing was terrible. was terrible. The skits were terrible. The hosts were terrible. I don't blame Regina because she shouldn't have been hosting in that context at all. If you're going to hire these two comedians, let them, either let them all be comedians or none of them be comedians. But nevertheless, uh, she was forced out of her Bailey quick. Doesn't make any difference. Still terrible. I agree completely. Yeah. Uh, um, um, uh, uh, the two comedians were also terrible, mostly because the writing was terrible. They're, the writing for them. The writing for yeah. everything that every person who stepped on to, uh, uh, in front of a microphone that evening yeah. that had to say something non-contemporaneously, you know, that had to do a bit. All of that yeah. writing was terrible. Literally not a single bit skit or, or, or speech, you know, not written by a person themselves. <clears throat> All terrible. Every word. Nothing landed. Nothing landed. And, and with, uh, they, the, the eight categories which were presented beforehand and then edited in in truncated fashion to save a few seconds. The show still came in at 221 minutes. Mm. I, like I, so I don't know. And, and they still, and then they, they, they played Bruno, which wasn't even a nominated song. They performed that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, and by minute 34, they had still only given out one award. They went more than half an hour before they actually got to a second award. And I was thinking back, you know, those old Gil Cates shows in the eighties, mm-hmm. those things would have given within the first half hour, you've given out three awards. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. Uh, you know, you you, you got to get right into it. You really got to get right into it. And and uh, you know, I I am not a fan of Will Packer. I'll, I'll be honest. I think he's you know one of those one of those hacky crank em out producers that Hollywood just leans on and doesn't really put a lot into it. Um, but I'm not going to. And this is not, and this is out show. of his bailiwick again. Yeah, he's out. He, it is. He's out of his bailiwick. But so again. was last year. Yeah. Steven Soderbergh's last year was it was, well, it was just yeah. was almost as terrible. And Soderbergh did a whole that whole intro that yeah. walking through it that didn't work either. So yeah, here's, I mean, a, here's the thing. This, this, is, this is not what you people do. This is not what no. you people do. They should get not a film producer, get a Broadway producer, get someone who does live shows, who, who does live variety, who does stadium shows, somebody who knows how to put this kind of an affair on. That's someone who should produce the Oscars. And, and, yeah. and you know, 
The problem was Will Hacker, Will Packer was handed a thankless task. We all know that ABC was leaning hard on the Academy, giving them the ultimatum. So ABC had a lot of demands. We need a certain number of commercial breaks. They had way too many, I got to add. Way too mm -hmm. many commercial breaks eventually. The first one came at like 40 minutes, and then it was like every 10 minutes or 15 minutes thereafter. It was, it's, it's way too many. Fewer commercials, charge more for them. That's a better way to go. Mm -hmm. um, and they said, okay, 50% increase over last year. Okay, that still makes it the second lowest rated show ever. I yeah, mean, it lost it lost 50% from the previous year. So it regained 50% from last year. You're halfway back to the third lowest rated Oscar cast of all time. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you and Mark and Ray and I had a little online uh, discussion about this. And, and Ray was making the point that everything is losing audience. This is true. And I get that. But at the same time, um, we've got to figure out where, I mean, all of these things don't have the same audience. Like if the Oscars are losing audience and the MTV and movie awards are losing audience, those are two different audiences. So they're both losing audiences in the same proportion, but for different reasons. I mean, the Grammy audience is not necessarily the Oscar audience. So audiences are going somewhere, presumably online or something else, or they have other things to do. But specific to the Oscars, I think you have to look at the history of the Academy Awards. For 45 years, they had a reliable audience of between 35 and 45 million people that popped over 50 twice for E.T. and Titanic. But otherwise, 35 to 45, really reliable, a pretty reliable 32 to 35 million dollar base of movie fans who were going to come every year, no matter what. And anything above that was gravy. And we mm -hmm. lost that six years ago. That collapsed six years ago, and it's been further collapsing every year. So somewhere we've got another 15 to 20 million viewers who want to watch the Oscars, but are not. And well, that's I, I, what I, concerns me. I'll I, I split the difference with you. So of that 35 to 45 um, uh, that you're talking about, I, I would say, I would say five to, to, to seven or 10 of that actually left. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and, and, and just like, in, just like the country music awards and the, and, and the Emmys and, and, and every other award show literally are not doing that anymore. Or, or better put, perhaps never grew into doing it in the first place, right? Um, uh, it, which is where I think, I, I don't think it's so much that so, a whole bunch of people stopped watching the Oscars as that a generation never grew into watching the Oscars or, or, or many of these other things, which means that that, 40, that 35 to 45 is probably now uh, more of a legit, uh, uh, you know, 30, 25 to 30, 30 to 35. Or, or, or better put, uh, um, it's it's a matter of a group of people who never came to watching these programs in the first place. Not just the Oscars, right? Uh, uh, so, so, so we had this group of people who didn't go away. I still watch the Oscars. You still watch the Oscars. Those of us who do do. Uh, but over the last you know thirty years that you and I have been doing this, a whole two generations of people have come along. And a, a, a chunk of those people never came to engaging in these things. The Oscars, the Grammys, the Emmys, the Country Music Awards, they just never started doing it in the first place. Um, uh, and, and so that's the question that, that I think. I think that's where, where a chunk of these audiences went. They, they didn't go. They never came. Um, and, and, uh, and that, I think, is going to be a more difficult uh, thing to engage. An audience that has never watched the Oscars Needs to be enticed to watch the Oscars. That's a great, and that's yeah. We're gonna watch until we're until, until yeah. we're out of here. But you know, I got a I got a thirty year old goddaughter in there, 
she has she has never really watched the Oscars. She watched the year Black Panther was nominated. Yeah, you know, never really, not really. Well, I, you know, I, I talk guys my age, a bunch of mild buddies. One of them was having a housewarming party on Sunday, and I said, "You realize that's the Oscars, right?" And they didn't know. They didn't care. And these yeah. people my age that's two used hits. to watch. That's two hits. So it's uh, that's rough. Uh, that's all a rough call. I mean, here for me, it was it was already it was already off on a bad foot when they started with a music video of Beyonce. Now Beyonce in the room performing live in the Kodak Theater. That is that's something special. Yeah, I can watch Beyonce doing a music video on a rooftop or in a in a some other. I, I can watch that anytime I want. So that's not special. And, uh, you know, even though I didn't care for having Queen perform a couple of years ago when they opened up that first show yeah. that Kevin Hart was supposed to, put, yeah. to host and then they, you know, they tanked that. Okay, fair enough. It's Queen. But at least they were in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Beyonce in the room. Okay. I think they should have opened with, with the James Bond tribute and then brought all the surviving Bonds on stage. And uh, then, yeah. you know, that's, that would have been a great time to do that. You, you, but there were, there were all kinds of great ways to kick that show off and they didn't do any of them. And then it took like 10 minutes before one of the hosts actually delivered what was akin to a monologue. That first little grouping all three of them together mm-hmm. and, and doing the banter didn't work. Nope. Uh, like you said, you know, Regina shouldn't have been there. It's not really her, her, well, her e- strong e- suit. E- either use her and a bunch of people like her or a bunch of comedians, one or the other, but, but not both. Yeah. Uh, if you know, not both. And, and, you know, uh, Wanda had a couple of good lines. Amy had a couple of good lines, but, but not enough to, to sustain the show. It just, it was flabby. This breaking the music up, starting with a DJ, then going to some kind of a band and then having an orchestra. Uh, that, that didn't work either. I, you, you want some musical consistency in the show. So, I mean, there were all of these kinds of avant-garde things. They just weren't working at all. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the Godfather tribute. I mean, dude, am I, am I, am I as a, as a person of, uh, of, of European ancestry off base here in saying, why is, why are you choosing Diddy? To introduce <laughs> the Godfather, he has no connection to it. And then there was this hip hop score, and I thought, are 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 you saying that like like African American is the new Italian American? Are you making like a gangster mob connection here? Because that's what it felt like to me, and I was kind of insulted. I, was I right to be insulted? I, I don't know. I, look, I don't know that, that that was right or wrong. I, I I know that I made no connection between those things for one thing. Diddy makes no sense because Diddy's not in the movie business. I think he acted in a, movie, in, in a movie too, or whichever. He played himself. He played him. Yeah, he played yeah. himself. He played himself in the movie about uh, about a uh, 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 big. He, he did. He did. He he was in. He was in the. Uh, he was in Monsters Ball. Um, yeah. um, he played. But whatever. He ain't in the movie business. He's a, he's a music guy. I have no idea why you're even on the stage. Uh, get all these movie. Get all these music and TV people off the stage. Um, uh, number one. All all of the connect. There should have been connectivity between all of these things. And that was weird. That's just, so there's no connective tissue there. So that's why it made no sense for me. You're not in the movie business. <laughs> You're in the music business and you have no association with the Godfather. What's so freaking ever? Uh, I, just, I, I would have loved for Sophia Coppola to be the person who made that introduction. There you go. And we, we already got a nice stuff, a lovely little connection and, uh, and we're, and we're, and we're perfectly fine again. 
uh, um, I'm not, look, I wasn't crazy about dragging all the old people out, just generally speaking. Cause they didn't even let, they didn't even let De Niro or Pacino say anything. You know, uh, De, you De Niro know. and Pacino probably were smart enough to know not to say anything. <laughs> that, yeah. That's probably what that was. Uh, they were probably bright enough. Look, um, uh, uh, Travolta and Uma Thurman, uh, dancing and talking about five dollar hamburgers oh, or McGraw. No, if you're going to come out, just come out, stand there with dignity. Thank you. That's we'll all we want. No, no, no banter. No we'll banter. We'll applaud you. I mean, bring it, dragging out Liza to oh humiliate God. her in a wheelchair, a woman who used to dance up a storm, even when she was in her 50s and 60s. I can't. I, I, just, I just couldn't. I, it was I terrible. I, it was. And I wanted and, to cry. And here, look, it's not like I'm trying to hide old people. I'm, I'm, I'm quickly getting there. And I, and, I, and, I, and I want to revere them and venerate them. I do. So I'm not trying to put them in a box and hide them away. That's not what I'm saying. If you're going to drag Liza out onto the stage with Lady Gaga, for God's sakes, don't make her do anything. Just let her sit there and wave. Let, don't give her any envelopes or have her say anything. Just don't, don't make her do anything. Her being there is what she's doing. <laughs> That's her contribution. That is a Otherwise, point. better better yet, Francesca pointed this out, what you really want to do is stick her out in the audience in some fancy booth you know you know yeah. we're surrounded by pretty boys <laughs> and just let yeah. her sit there and wave and drink all night and yeah. you, and every now and again you cut the yeah. liza that's what you do with the old people you don't yeah. you, you don't uh, you don't give them a job and uh and it's so that was just all horrifying and then <laughs> and take it away uh you take it away on behalf of all black men everywhere i'd just like to apologize <laughs> For the behavior of my people, look. I know that individuals are responsible for for the things that individuals yeah. do, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend like that in the context of uh, of black folks. I talk about black people in the black community on this show all the time, so it would be it would be disingenuous of me to sit here and pretend like the black community writ large uh, and and lots of other people too didn't didn't have a don't have a stake. And the things that black folk do, particularly when black folks rise high, when they rise high, we rise with them. We talk shit. Uh, we're happy. Uh, I believe that this is probably true amongst all peoples and certainly amongst all underrepresented peoples. And it's and it's yeah. wonderful. You know, my, my Jewish my Jewish folks loved it when Sandy Co- Koufax was throwing yeah. no hitters. Of course they did. Yeah. Of course yeah. they did. And so on and so forth. So. Um, uh, uh, understanding that to be true, I, I, I do want folks to know that in the black community, that resonated in a very particular way. To watch a black man walk onto a stage, uh, ostensibly the largest audience event uh, in, in the world, maybe the Super Bowl is bigger, and, and, and hit not just somebody, but hit another black man, slap another black man, um, as deeply as that goes, generally speaking, as an as a you can't get there from here sort of situation in any context, in any context, uh, in the black community, we take all of that and then we add a notch. We turn it up to 11, as they used to say. <laughs> uh, and that's for us, that's an 11. It's a 10 in the world, but it's an 11 for us. And it will have ramifications through the black community henceforth and forever. Uh, henceforth and forever, that will be a thing that happened at the Oscars. And it would be a thing that happened between two black men. And, and in all black communities, the sentences, the conversation will always end with that. Whatever else we say, uh, the conversation is going to end with that. And, um, and it's, and it's, a, it's a, dude, it's a knot in our stomachs. It, it's a, it, and, um, it's a knot in my stomach. And, um, uh, and, and, and there it is. The thing itself, um, 
Uh, you can't get there from here. As I said, Will Smith had no reason, right? No matter what he thought was said about anybody, you, 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 there is no laying hands on, period. You, you, that don't happen. That is wrong. He's wrong. All wrong. Nothing but wrong. Chris Rock, uh, as Ray said, when you invite the court jester <laughs> to, to the, to the yeah. banquet, <clears throat> you, you can't, you can't kill him when he, when he makes a joke about the king. <laughs> that you run, you're going to run out of court jesters if you do that. Uh, so, so that's just wrong no matter what he said. As it happens, I don't think he said anything particularly offensive at all. That's just me. That joke was funny as hell. Maybe it's funny as hell because I'm old. Because I'm old, and I actually went to the premiere of GI Jane. I actually remember. <laughs> I, I remember Demi Moore walking around and doing all this, doing the circuit with that bald head. Uh, uh, and 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 I and what I remember is everybody was amazed at how ridiculously beautiful she was. Yeah, they're like, damn, Demi Moore is fine as hell, even bald. You know, and and, and that's what I remember. And I and I can get to a place where where the where the comment that he made was actually a comment about. Jada Pinkett Smith looking beautiful, which, by the way, she literally did. She was sitting there being beautiful, being beautiful right there for the entire world to see. And I just so I just can't get my mind around any of it, Wade. Uh, You know, I I, I love all your comments because it's it's um, it gives me a new perspective, too. And I have read everything in the past 48 hours. And I have refrained from weighing in too heavily because opinions are easy to have. We know what they say about opinions. Mm. And so I've been reading a lot. I read Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's comment, Mm. which I thought was incredibly insightful and wise. He said a lot of the same things you just did. Um, I read what, uh, what Jamel Hill wrote for, uh, for, for the Atlantic, Mm -hmm. which I thought also raised a lot of interesting points. I, I um, obviously saw Tiffany Haddish's tweet, which I am so sorry that she said because it's not going to play well. No, and no. you know I, I watched uh, the whole thing about, the, about black women being under attack and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Except that there was no black woman under attack. And, <laughs> That's a delusion. Know, I read, I read, I, I watched Russell Brand this morning. He did a, a whole fifteen minutes on it, which was fascinating. I mean, and I'm not a Russell Brand fan, but he really went down and he said, "Look, as an Englishman." I can relate to all three of them. I can relate to, you know, a person whose wife's just been insulted or to the wife who's just been insulted or to the guy who says, I didn't insult you. I'm just telling a joke. Like he tried to put himself in all three points of view and he went through it very uh, intelligently. And, and so I followed that and, you know, uh, I, Joe Rogan weighed in and I watched that and, you know, so I've absorbed all of this and, um, and Jim, Car- Jim, Jim, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Jim I, I Carrey particularly like what he had to say because Jim, I agree. He, 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 he went to the audience. He was about the audience. He was about you, this, this yeah. room. is a room full of cowards. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's gone. So, I, I mean, <coughs> there's a lot still to unpack in this. There's a lot. You know, Will was laughing until he wasn't. Uh, some people thought it was staged. You know, there's a, there's a little meme floating around that's, you know, suggesting that, that Chris was prepared for it. He leaned into it. I think Chris was preparing for something other. I don't think it was staged. No, it I wasn't Chris, staged. I, th- I think Chris was, was thinking that Will is about to be funny. I think, I think Chris was prepared for a little, a little improv shtick with Will. Yeah. Yeah. The and, Will's, Will's going to come and Will's going to come. Do, so we're going to, we're going to do, we're, we're going to do a thing. We're going to do a bit. And, and, and Chris is in, immensely talented at that. Yeah. You know, uh, people, people talk about how much poise he showed and people have to understand where Chris comes from. 
all those guys, if you've done stand-up, if you've yeah. reached the pinnacle of stand-up, if you are Chris or if you are if you're Dave Chappelle or if you're Patton Oswalt or, you know, if you're any Jim Jeffries, you name it, you go right down the line. You have been heckled uh, within an inch of your life. You have bombed uh, in, a, in a divey club somewhere in the Midwest, and, and you have had to dig your way out by being sharp and fast and, and, and quick on your feet. Yeah. And so they, they develop those skills over many decades. Chris is pushing 60. Let's for, let's not forget, you yeah. know, yeah. Chris, Chris, Chris Rock is not the Chris he, Rock that, yeah. He's, he's our generation. He is. <laughs> he's, so, yeah. so, you know, he has, he's done this a long time and he's, he's well seasoned at it. And, and so he's, uh, that he showed grace under fire. I am not surprised at, I, I applaud no. him. No, but and he's hosted the Oscars before himself, yeah. all by himself, you know. No. So, so he he knows the gig. And let, let me but, tell you why Chris showed grace on the fire. Chris showed grace on the fire because I used to go see watch Chris play at play at uh, uh, what's the name of it? it was the Black Club down Black Comedy Club down in the hood, yeah. early nineties. Fat Tuesdays is what the fat yeah. with, with the PH back when they were when all the fat yeah 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 yeah. And if you have ever played comedy clubs. In the hood, black comedy, black comics and black comedy clubs. If you play black comedy clubs in the hood, Will Smith walking around, that just ain't nothing. <laughs> you, you, what, yeah. you, Shug, Shug Knight, pissing off Suge Knight in a, in a comedy club yeah. in, in 1992. Now that takes courage, yeah. you know, and I seen Chris Rock do that. So, 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 so Will was, was definitely funny. Yeah. Here's 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 what here's what disappoints me the most. And and I've said this, I think, on the show before I have in all the years that we were doing junkets. Yeah. And you and I have done a, a bajillion junkets. There are only three celebrities whom I ever thought entirely took over a room with the sheer force of charisma where they walk into a room and there's an aura and there's personality and there's charisma and they own the room and they control it. And and everyone just kind of falls into their orbit. And they do it in different ways. But those three were Arnold Schwarzenegger, mm -hmm. Russell Crowe, mm -hmm. and Will Smith. Mm -hmm. Those three. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Schwarzenegger kind of intimidated you a little bit with the, with the force of his, you know, badassery. Russell Crowe was just downright insulting. He insults everyone into yeah, loving him. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing in the world. The more he curses at you, the more he yells at you, the more you love him. I don't understand it, but it is what it is. Um, and then Will just came in with this gregariousness, this love for everyone. That was, it was, it was, um, it was irresistible. And yeah. that was, that was the men in black junket. That was not yesterday. Yeah. And, yeah. and since then, you know, uh, you want to believe that becoming a father, becoming a husband, becoming one of the richest celebrities who's ever existed. I mean, well, in, in, in excess of $300 million, the estate that they live on, which is oh, not far from, from me. Is is gigantic. It's, 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 it's that Mary Pickford Douglas Fairbanks type shit. It it is. It's an. It's like a ne It's like Neverland's type stuff. You know. Yes. It really is on that level. It's enormous. He has. He has has so much success. You would assume that that personality, that level of success, so much experience on the night when you know that you are going to win that award, that that should translate into a level of professionalism, because you've been there. Yeah. You've just been there. And I, and I, and I always think to, you know, the, the, this day, I don't know, probably about 20 years ago when Charles Barkley was ridiculing celebrations in the NBA guys who, you know, get a dunk and then celebrate. And he was, he was knocking it down. He was saying like, yeah, that's, that's immature. You, yeah. you're, you're a veteran. You played through high school and through college. Act like you've been there before. Act like you've been here, man. Act, Act like, like you've been you've there. Been here. And, um, and so and, and, something, and, something snapped and, and it's so disappointing and it makes me so sad um, and, and, and I will say, to this, especially since, look, I'm, and again, this is all like 
everything I'm everything I'm about to say is ridiculously unfair, but I'm gonna say it anyway. If for some bizarre reason uh, that situation involved uh, Fifty Cent, <laughs> right? Your yeah. rapper, rapper turned actor producer. You know, yeah. not, not like Will. You know, uh, I like that. And, but somehow he was there, and he was going to get an Academy Award. And 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 somebody said, and Fifty Cent <laughs> got up and ran up there and punched the motherfucker in the face. Somehow I would be like, oh well, you know, you shouldn't be fucking with Fifty. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's like wrong. That is wrong. It's wrong. What a fifty does is wrong. No, but, but you're, but you're, you know, you're, <clears throat> you, you raise a really interesting point. I've gone through this with people too, and there are no answers to this. No. Right? There, are, there are no answers to this. But I've said, okay, what if it was not Will Smith? What if it was? 50 cent. What if it was Suge Knight? <laughs> you, you would start saying like, well, that's a, he's a little, <laughs> it's, it's, it's right. Or, or what if it was Mel Gibson? Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, or, or, or what if instead of Chris Rock, it had been Dwayne Johnson? Would Will have done that? <laughs> well, he wouldn't. And I got, I take it a notch, a notch further. I'm not the first to say it. If that had been any white presenter, uh, not Chris Rock. Any white presenter. I don't know. Russell Crowe. You just talked about Russell yeah. Crowe is always, yeah. always fucking with people. If that's Russell Crowe and Will Smith, for whatever reason, go, it's still a different situation. Yeah. We live in that complicated uh, of, of, of society where all of these things, uh, you know, frankly matter. Uh, and, and they matter that night too. You know, I mean, at, at the moment in that evening, um, um, as when, when Sir, Sir, uh, for, first of all, you know, Chris went on with, with, with his thing, Questlove won, which is like so ridiculously ironic that a man named Questlove. I know. <laughs> just, uh, just, Amir, Amir Thompson for some Amir of us. Thompson, for, we're yeah. going to give him the dignity of using his <laughs> actual name because, yeah. yes, but yes, Questlove. But, but, we yes, love just insanely, insanely ironic that this is a guy that takes the stage after the attack between two black men. And also with ironic. With a beautiful speech, with a beautiful, a beautiful speech, speech that got so overshadowed, by the way. And, 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 and what did he win for? A movie called The Summer of What? Soul. About what? A bunch of black people in 1969 having a celebration, a month, months long celebration yeah. in, in, in Harlem. And, and I'm like, all of this together was swirling through my head. I don't know if, 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 if everyone was tying together all of these things in that moment, but all of that was swirling through my head. Um, and I, it's, it's, you know, uh, it's, it is, it is what it is. But it, it it has eclipsed the La La Land Moonlight fiasco. Yeah, that, it sure that's, did. That's gone. Nobody's going to talk about that anymore. Do you remember? You remember when that when David Niven had the streaker behind him? <laughs> that's out. That's out. So gone. That's out. Shash on, that's shash on Little Feather and on and 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 uh, Marlon Brando. That's gone. It's all. That's all nobody. Nobody's yeah. going to talk about that one anymore. So you know, I, yeah. I, I I have to say. I mean, I've been saying this a long time. The the. There are there are all, all kinds of systemic problems here with the Academy Awards right now, and yes, a lot of it has to do with technology and changing audiences and streaming and all of these things, and and that's all manageable to my mind. But you know, Don Hudson, um, nice lady, but I think she's been a terrible CEO. She came in from the Spirit Awards and Film Independent, which was not what you wanted to hire. You know, you don't you don't hire the the CEO of Fiat uh, to run Rolls Royce. You yeah. just don't. You know, these are different things and uh, or, or General Motors. You, you just it's not, you know, Spirit Awards is a, is, a, is a casual kind of crazy unhinged evening. And that's what people expect it to be. And the Oscars is a whole different thing. And I do, I, you know, she has presided. She has nowhere else to hide. She's presided over a whole bunch of different shows and different producers and different situations over the last six years. And the ratings are collapsing. It's happened on her watch with her hires and uh, nothing has improved. It's only gotten worse. She she's under contract until next May. 
but it is my sincere hope. And if anybody's listening to this, who has an ear uh, of people at the Academy or any of the governors, um, you, you need to make, you need to drive her out this year. They, you need to start the search for a new CEO immediately. You need to sign that person up well in advance of this year's award season. That person needs to come on no later than early summer, June and July. You need to have a new CEO in place. They need to bring a whole new staff in clean house. They need to evaluate all current policies, all current rules. And, um, and, and when award season rolls around kind of October ish, um, you need to, you need to be preparing for what this show is going to be next year with a new CEO of the Academy, a whole new way of approaching things and putting all of this in the rearview mirror. They, they need to have, you know, it, this cannot be the same regime, uh, dropping the ball again next year. It's, it's, they've had a decade and they've not done well with it. And, uh, I, I, I just hope people at the Academy need to do that. But the problem is you have 54 governors mm. from 17 different branches, you got three people from each of the each of the seventeen branches, and then you got three uh, at large, uh, and and it, it's just it's too many people to make proper decisions. I find that there are too many governors to for that in, that organization to be agile as the way that it needs to be. Mm. So, for example, what, you know, every snippet from SNL and from the Tonight Show and every night late night talk show is circulating as a as a shareable ditty a little shareable thing on social media within hours. Mm-hmm. Why can I not go and find, for example, Humphrey Bogart's acceptance speech? Yeah. Like at the snap of my fingers. Why can't I find Audrey Hepburn accepting? Why can't I find Sidney Poitier's acceptance speech? Why can't I find uh, when, you know, somebody received the, the Gene Herschelt award? Why can't I find Jackie Chan's honorary Oscar? Like I should be able to go to, to ampass.org or Oscars, Oscars.org and just at one search, pull that up. Right there. I was, Why can't I find that? Not, 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 not only, not only should should they be indexed in that way. Frankly, every single Oscar telecast, uh, yep. uh, the very next year, uh, should be completely and totally available uh, for yep. anybody to watch anywhere in the world, anytime they want. So, so the night, the night of the Oscars, the previous year's Oscars, the whole telecast. Yeah, just be there a few days before, whatever it is, the whole telecast, it, it and, should, then, yeah, and then and then and then that because why not? And then that and then that uh, the the sort of indexing that you're talking about, uh, absolutely. Uh, that look it, to me, it's this simple: the human beings involved, notwithstanding the the answer to the question, the way to fix the Oscars is with one thing: simplicity. Oh, uh, so true. Simplicity is all we need. Yeah. Uh, well, what we're going to do. Uh, is we're going to vote on a bunch of winners. And then on the yeah. night, the evening of the Oscars, someone is going to dignifiedly walk out to the stage and, uh, a host and, and, and invite a presenter out to the stage and they're going to say, hello, hello. <laughs> How yeah. are you? I'm fine. And then, <laughs> and then, and then, and the then nominees are the nominees are. And, 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 and we're going to do that through the whole damn show. And if you're not a naturally funny person, Tom Hanks, uh, or whoever, presenting or hosting, if, 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 if you are not a person who can simply be funny, shut up and read the cue card. That's it. And, and, and that's it. Every, there, there are human beings who are funny. Yeah. Who can pick Billy Crystal. You know, yeah. you don't have to write a joke for Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal, he, he would find the funny. So, you know, and, 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 and so with simplicity, that show will be just fine. No skits, no, no bits, 
uh, performances, frankly. And you know what I want to see? There was an Oscar cast that came in at a little, uh, uh, like around two hours and 15 minutes. And I want to say it's like 1979, 78, 19, something like that. I want to go back and see how the hell they did that. Yeah. yeah like, was, I, I want to see what, that. What that, was that, on the show? What was in the there show? There were fewer categories. They still had, you know, 24 categories and people came out and read the nominees and handed out the awards and got award speeches, acceptance speeches. I mean, it happened the same way. Somehow they got that done. They got that business out of the way in record time. Uh, so I'd, I'd like to go back and see that show and make some uh, take some notes. Well, what it requires is for the Academy uh, to engage uh, in, in, in what we are doing. Uh, this is what we're doing. And we're doing it very, very simply. Instead of posing the question, what does the audience want to see? That's the questions being posed. What does the audience want to see? Who gives a fuck? This is what well, we're doing. Tim, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something. I'll tell you what the audience wants to see. And this is the conundrum. This is the conundrum for the Academy Awards. What the audience wants to see is um, uh, artistic validation for the movies that they went to go see. Yeah. And if the studios are not making movies that it, mass market, mass appeal movies that deserve artistic consideration, that's a problem. And if movies that get artistic consideration are not being made by the studios and marketed to a mass audience, that's also a problem. Those two things have bifurcated increasingly mm. since the 1970s and, and, and rapidly over the last 20 years and last 15, it's kind of been, you know, uh, a critical mass. You know, the top 10 films of the year never get any Oscar nominations and the top 10 Oscar winning films make like $100,000 between them. It, it, it's gotten to be that crazy. You know, we're not in that realm of, of, of Rain Man winning Best Picture and, and also making $200 million at the box office anymore. We're in a much, a much more dangerous place. And, it, and the Oscars can't control, or at least they think they can't control the movies that are being made. But we've talked about this on the diversity front, too. Hmm? What you should be doing instead of trying to wag the dog is go to the studios and say, we want to work with you and help you to make more big mass market movies that are Oscar worthy. We want to help you make the kinds of films that win awards. We'll make it worth your time. And then go to schools and say, we want to help you in give an education, a film education to kids who otherwise might not see a path to getting into this business. Mm. Because when you look at Academy governors, Tim, oh, yeah. I've looked into this. These are people for the most part who are born and raised in LA Born and raised in New York, mm. born and raised in the Bay Area, in large urban centers where they get to go to uh, major theaters where they have film educations in these large school districts that are connected to media in some way. Mm. A kid who, who, who comes out of Mississippi, mm -hmm. who comes out of Montana, uh, a kid who grows up in Uruguay, a kid who grows up in Vietnam. What's their path to becoming an Academy Award uh, nominated filmmaker, artisan, mm -hmm. a path to becoming a member of the Academy? It's almost unthinkable. If the Academy wants to really diversify its membership and its nominees and the films, you've got to take some of that cash that you earn and you've got to pay it forward. You've got to go to those corners of the world where people think that this is unreachable and untouchable. And you've got to plant those seeds and say, you know what? You don't see the ladder, so we're going to plant a ladder here that leads directly to us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, That's mm -hmm. what you got to do. Yeah, particularly since they're so flush. They got the, the academy is flush. They yeah, are. They got and, and and you know, so there there are so many philosophical things that are wrong with the academy. The way it sees itself, uh, the way it sees its, its movies. I mean, there there are just so many things that have to change. But 
Uh, the last thing I'll say about this, the last, yeah. and, then, and, and I'll give you the final word there, but the last thing I'm going to say is to manage the academy, even when you have a CEO who may be terrible, you cannot have 54 governors. You've got to do what the UN does. You have the General Assembly and you got the Security Council. Mm. 54 governors, that's fine. That's your General Assembly. That's what represents all the branches. But you need to pick 10 people out of those 54, 10, 11, 12 tops. And those are the people who have to make the big decisions. And you got to reelect them every year. And if you don't like them, they go back into the body of the 54 and another 10 or 12 get elected. There has to be in a different layer of management. You cannot go to 54 people every single time you need a major decision made. It's just not going to work in this day and age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. Well, here we are. All right, man. All right. Well, uh, you know what? Before we get into the into the DVDs, I wanted to also touch on something else that I've been doing oh, yeah. too. And, and this is a thing that I, I just decided to do this year because, it, you know, we've had so much. Everything's gone to streaming and whatnot. So this year I had an opportunity. I saw a lot of films projected. I, in fact, I saw, let's see, I saw Belfast projected. I saw Drive My Car projected. Dune, uh, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, uh, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. So seven of the ten films I saw projected. Yeah. And, and, and that's not bad. I'm, yeah. I'm really proud of that. Uh, so I decided to, to, uh, also see them on, in streaming, on, on Blu-ray or, or streaming or 4K or whatever it is. Some of them like night, like Nightmare Alley and West Side Story. I watched on streaming code because yeah. Disney doesn't send us discs anymore. They send us codes. So, so I, I, I did this and, and a really interesting thing happened. Um, I think Belfast is a better movie projected. Dune is a better movie projected. Yeah. They suffer. They suffer when you watch them on the, te on television. Um, I think nightmare alley is, I, I I've gone back and forth on this. I think I enjoyed nightmare alley more watching the streaming version of it on movies anywhere. I mm. think nightmare alley worked better for me. That first hour that felt so long and so flabby and so arduous, um, in the theater, is better. I, I manage the time better somehow when I'm sitting in front of my television. Mm. And West Side Story, which I don't like, and you know, you and I have, have a really interesting, different perspective on this, which I really don't like in any way whatsoever. I thought it was a totally unnecessary remake. I found much more manageable at home. Mm. I think the original West Side Story is a powerful film to see projected, seventy millimeter, the color and everything. Spielberg's West Side Story, all that fast editing, all of that rapid camera movement, and so forth that annoyed the crap out of me much easier to digest when I could sort of gauge my own proximity to the screen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Licorice pizza, better movie projected. Oh, really? Power of the dog. Absolutely the same. Mm. King Richard, better movie in a theater. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Did, yes. did you happen to watch uh, that black and white version of Nightmare Alley? I did not. I, 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 you know what? I kind of gave up on that with, uh, with, uh, uh, the, uh, last Mad Max film when they did the, the, uh, chrome version of it, whatever, black and chrome, silver and chrome. And yeah. I, 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 I was like, I, it's just, they, I don't get it. So yeah. no, I did not. I did not. Did you? No, yeah, I did. I had to, I had to, I had to do it for the show, but I, but I watched it, uh, because I saw Night my, Mary Alley in the theater, you know, the, the yeah, the, yeah. The and then, and then for the show the, that they, they, they get sent as a code or whatever for the black and white one. So, you know, and I thought, well, that would be interesting. So I queued it all up and tweaked the set and, 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 and got it looking the way it looked. And there it was all okay. Then I popped in, uh, that Tyrone Power film, uh, what's 47 or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, which of course is natural yeah. and just in black and white, it's, you know, same settings. 
and it looked it, and, and, and the the forty seven film looked far and away better. Uh, the 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 um, the um, uh, the streaming uh, uh, Nightmare Alley uh, was all crunchy uh, and 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 edgy, uh, kind of graphic novelly. Who was that yeah. guy that used to do all that stuff in Black uh, Sin City? What's his name? Frank Miller. Yeah, uh, kind of Frank Millery. Uh, and whereas the 47 film, and it's just, just a whatever, whatever thing, it was just, just sort of soft, lovely gradations, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I, and you know, and I blacked it up a little bit more just on my set. And I'm like, <laughs> and I, and I'm like, you know, this is, you know, in every context, this is a better movie. It doesn't make any difference yeah. what he does. In every context, this is just a better movie. Well, and so here I'm going to now ask, did uh, Coda deserve to win? Because Coda, I'll just say this, Coda, only three nominations. It won all three of its nominations, which is kind of going back to Grand Hotel in whatever it was, 1935 or four or whatever. And Grand Hotel had one nomination. And that nomination was for Best Picture, and yeah. it won. Yeah. <laughs> and this is, you know, and it also won without a director nomination, which, like Driving Miss Daisy and Argo, also won without a director nomination. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. it made that weird late season run. It was not on anyone's lips until it won SAG, until it won the PGA, and everybody started saying, "Well, Coda might win." And sure enough, it did. It came up the came up the middle in a weak year. Um, how do you feel about Coda winning? I'm perfectly okay with it, and I'll tell you why in a moment. But I, but, but I know I, I know why it won is because a couple of other uh, pictures sort of did themselves in. So Jane Campion, who won Best Director, Campion, uh, you know, she was floating around out there saying some wacky shit, uh, and I think it cost her. Uh, 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 that, That's that also thing. a really divisive film too, because when, like, for example, and, and, it's, we, and it's a very divisive film, I mean, as opposed it, it, to Coda, which is not. No, it's not. It's 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 safe. And I've always said the preferential ballot when you're ranking films, whoever gets the most number twos and threes, and 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 it's kind of everyone's second or third favorite film. That's usually the one that wins because yeah. nobody loves it, but nobody hates it. So it gets just enough mid level mushy points to to kind of drive through. Which is which, yeah. which, which is perfectly reasonable because that means that of all of the people in that room and of all of the people that watched all of these films, that is the film that not that fewer of us, very few of us, would say, "I hated that movie." Yeah, it's so true. Uh, that's no it. one was going to say that. They, 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 you know, the little slight thing they say, "Oh, it's like an after-school special." Well, yeah, but you know what? I liked after-school specials. <laughs> so, so, yeah. so, 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 so it lives there. And then there are those who simply just really dearly love it because they love a movie. Uh, that is, you know, a, a really, really feel good movie, but they actually really do love that kind of a movie. You add that together. I, you know, I, I like a feel good movie. I, 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 I like Coda quite a lot. I understand why people love it. Um, I can live or, or I can go, I, look, uh, uh, Power to Dog, Campion's fifth best film. It's her fifth yeah. best film, but, but she's only made five. Well, I'll say this. I feel like every, like all the good people took home awards. Uh, you know, Sean Heater was not nominated for directing Coda, but yeah. she won an Oscar for writing it. So yeah. she got hers. Jane Campion didn't win Best Picture, but she won. She's the second woman nominated or the first woman nominated twice for Best mm-hmm. Director. Mm-hmm. She won previously for a screenplay. She now has a directing award. So good on Jane Campion. Mm-hmm. Kenneth Branagh, first person ever nominated for set in seven different categories. He got his screenplay award. Good and man. and Questlove, oh, Amir, Amir Thompson. First time filmmaker, legendary musician, makes this passion uh, out of, you know, this passionate documentary. He gets his. And those were the awards that made me happy because I looked at those people and I thought, you know what? Every filmmaker, no, no really good filmmaker here tonight walked away empty handed. 
the filmmakers that I felt needed to walk away with some kind of validation, they all did. Yeah, that's true. So despite the crappy show, despite the the embarrassing moment, despite all the other stuff, despite, you know, Jessica Chastain winning for an absolutely ridiculous performance <laughs> that was all makeup, um, Penelope yeah. Cruz should have taken that home. But, yeah. but, you know, despite all of it, I felt like, you know what? That award show is going to fade, but the filmmakers, the filmmakers who needed those statuettes to propel them to the next job, that show is not going to tarnish that award. No, yeah, it, and, 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 and in the context, look, you know, there's there's what these Academy Awards mean to those of us out here, and then there's what they mean uh, to to those actual filmmakers, to filmmakers in general. All of that is intact. Sean, yeah. Sean, Sean is going to do fine. Uh, all of that, all of those yeah. people, Ariana, uh, gonna do fine, gonna do fine. Everybody's gonna do fine. That, that part of it is going to be just fine. They will, uh, you know, all the agents got all the right phone calls, you know, Monday morning, uh, and, uh, deals are being signed. All of that's yep. good. You know, uh, and, and, and we had, and, you know, we've had our little 37 minute conversation <laughs> now. So, you know. Yeah. Well, go. we've we've been at this for forty eight minutes now. So so that's that we normally put fifteen minutes in, ten to fifteen minutes for our our first segment. But with this was this was important. This was yeah. history, and uh, yeah. and we are now going to to migrate to uh, to this week's uh, DVDs and Blu rays and four Ks. So Tim, let's let's start with the with the four Ks. I okay. I just want to say we got the um the new fiftieth anniversary uh, Godfather trilogy on four K. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, I have watched, I'm going to admit, I have watched all three films mm-hmm. in four cuts and there are five basically available. Uh, there are three different cuts of Godfather three, the, uh, the original theatrical cut, the, the first home video cut, which went to 170 minutes. And then the, uh, Godfather coda cut of it, which is even shorter than the theatrical cut, the more recent recut. So all three of those are there. I have watched, uh, I watched two of those and the other Godfather one and two, both streaming, uh, both the, the movies anywhere version of them, or rather the, the voodoo. I shouldn't say movie anywhere because it's paramount. The voodoo version of them, which is still just Blu-ray. It's still just HD, not 4K and the 4K on the discs. And, uh, having been there when, uh, the Godfather one and two were being restored, I was there with oh, you know, yeah. Alan Dovyao and Richard and Robert Harris in the, in the in the rooms, you know, we were going to do a book on it, which never happened. But I was there watching them do that meticulous work, and so I've got to say, uh, it is amazing how good these films suddenly look in 4K. Wow. It is stunning because they didn't sharpen anything that didn't need to be sharpened. This is still Gordon Willis's grainy photography, and it is magnificent. And I'm just going to say right now, this is one of the problems I have with acting today: is that performances. <laughs> are not allowed to linger uh. when everybody's in too much of a rush to, to, to cut. They're in too much of a rush to move the camera, to get onto the next scene at the end of Godfather two, when Diane Keaton is beating a hasty retreat out of the, uh, out of the house, right? When, when Talia Shire is like, he's coming, Michael's coming, let's get you out the, you know, she's seeing her kids and she gets, yeah. and then she's just about out the door. She's kissing the kids and she looks up and there is j- the blood drains from her face. And you get that reverse shot and it's Pacino, and he's yeah. standing there, just looking evil and horrible and cold. And he takes that long walk to the door, and then closes it in her face. There are shots there, there are close-ups on both Keaton and Pacino that take forever, and your mm. skin crawls, and you get chills going up your spine. 
And it is acting and filmmaking as good as you will ever see it. And it just lets the moment live and breathe for so long that it gets right into your bloodstream. And I don't see that enough anymore. And, oh, and I, I, it's, it's just, a, it's extraordinary. So uh, that being said, a lot of great extras on here. Tons of bonus content. Most of it you have seen before. Storyboards and, uh, you know, uh, featurettes and, and, and short films and a whole ton of other things. So that's all here. You also get restoration comparisons, which are wonderful and give you a great insight into what I saw them actually doing. You get uh, eight millimeter home movies that were shot in 1971 that I have never seen before. This was all, I mean, astonishing stuff. Um, You get this wonderful little uh, uh, conversation, kind of a commentary conversation called Capturing the Corleones, which is through the lens of photographer Steve Shapiro which is, uh, you know, it's just more stuff you've never seen before. It's beautiful. And um, an introduction by Coppola. And my favorite thing here is a thing called Full Circle, Preserving the Godfather, where you go through the with the archivists talking about, you know, all the different technologies that they've employed, which a lot of which didn't exist at the time that they did the first restoration that I saw. Mm. So really, really amazing stuff. Just absolutely fantastic. Cannot highly recommend that enough. You got to get it onto your shelf. Double dip, triple dip, do whatever you got to do. Um, let's talk also for a second about American Werewolf in London, which now gets a 4K release from Arrow, uh, loaded with more extras than I have had any remote time to look at. But I got to say, uh, I think there's there's this video essay on here by um, uh, John Spira, which is hysterical. Um, it's called, I think he's a Jew, the werewolf secret, which goes into the whole idea that this is some kind of... Um, the American Werewolf in London is John Landis's meta- metaphorical exploration of Jewish identity. Tim, hmm. your thoughts? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> not going over there. That's uh, that, 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 that's weird. You, the other day, you know, you 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 did you did my class the other day, and the week yes. after you did it, John Bruno uh, came and and did it, and John Bruno did all the original uh, uh, sketches and storyboards for American Werewolf in London. So that entire transformation scene. Uh, he looks at, you know, he's sitting there and he looks at the guy stretching me on the floor and all that kind of stuff. John drew all of that out with John Landis, uh, 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 you know, sitting, sitting at his house in, in pencil and charcoal, yeah, almost frame by frame. And we were looking uh, at, at, at his drawings, you know, with the class there up on the screen. And then we played back the scene, uh, you know, in, in the movie. And Landis almost copied scene for scene, camera angle for camera angle. John Bruno's drawings uh, as he laid out th- that scene. It's really, really, wow. was a really, really in- in- interesting exploration of that process. As, as we talked about all of the, 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 the practical effects that were, uh, you know, th- that they did back then, you know, because all of that stuff is practical. Uh, yeah. back in the- and that's one of the things that I love most about that movie. Here's my question, though. Uh, how does all of that hold up? What are we looking at there? Are we looking at a uh, Blu-ray? Uh, what are we it's, a four, it's 4K. It's, it's, a 4K. A 4K. it's straight up 4K. How does, you know, it, how does it, those it practicals up? hold up? It, it holds up really well, in many respects, better than CG, uh, because you can tell that it's tangible. Let me just say, this morning, before this podcast, I, I had to go to the theater and uh, and suffer through Morbius. Which, <laughs> by the, which honestly, let's see, the, the social media uh, embargo ends in two and a half hours, so I'll make that. This will go live. I'll break the embargo, but they'll never know. So, um, yeah, watching all the CG in that thing, you know, uh, where, where Jared Leto and, and, uh, Matt Smith are, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll look normal and then they'll growl at each other and then the teeth and the nose. It, yeah, it, looks, it looks, it looks fake. It looks 
fake. Now that's vampires, fair enough, but it's the same thing. It, the transformation, you know, of a normal guy just going, and then his face transforms in like a second. It looks fake. It looks CG. It doesn't yeah. look. It doesn't look tangible. It doesn't look, uh, you know, uh, tactile. And that's what I love about this, and why I think this looks great in four in four K. Because you look at this, you show this to kids who are, you know, weaned on digital, and they will look at that and they'll go, "Damn, that looks real." Yeah. Like, How they do that? Yeah. Yeah, I noticed, I, noticed, I noticed that in the class the other night. Yeah. That was the yeah. thing that was hitting the, the students. You know, the, all the yeah. kids you met, they were like, they, they were like, you know, is that there? And he's, yeah. like, he's like, yeah, no, that's there. We built that. There's a yeah. dude under the floor doing stuff, you know, and, and the yeah. hair, you know. So anyway, very cool. Very cool. I'm, I'm glad it holds up in 4K. It really does. It's, it's, it's tremendous. And again, there are so many extras on here. It's almost like they, they said, oh, Criterion, huh? Okay, well we can <laughs> we can quadruple the amount of stuff, and they, that's just so much. There there must be like like three or four days worth of stuff on here. I mean, it's just there's featurettes and interviews and effects, and I mean you could good. you know if you're a real nerd, you will live with this thing for a day and a half. Good, good, good. Um, good on also on 4K, uh, Steelbook of Shooter, the 15th anniversary of the Mark Wahlberg film. Oh, that uh, one. Because you know, <laughs> yeah. I was thinking it was that Dagum TV series. <laughs> no, no, this is the this is the Antoine Fuqua film Shooter with Mark Wahlberg and. Uh, uh, a, a surprisingly young-looking Danny Glover and Michael Pena and Elias Codius and you know Ned Beatty even shows up in this thing. Um, I, it, do you remember this? Oh yeah, I remember that movie. Uh, uh, actually, Sherm was up for that movie. Um, uh, 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 it, it was it was a pretty good little pretty good little thriller from I, back I in the totally, day. I had totally forgotten this thing even existed. So yeah, this was you know Lorenzo de Bonaventura thing, uh, and and this just had totally fallen off my radar. So. I, it was interesting to see it again. I don't know that it needs a 4K, but I'm sure it has some some lingering fans. And Paramount clearly did some research. So, again, Steelbook of uh, the Shooter, yeah, or of just Shooter, not shooter, 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 yeah, just Shooter. Uh, also, 4K of American Underdog, which is the is uh, this this Zachary Levi thing yeah. uh, about Kurt Warner. Yeah, when he when, bit, when he was playing in my hometown. Yeah, when he was. That, with that's when the that's, that's when the Rams were in St. Louis that year. Well, they're, just, they're don't, back don't, here. Don't, don't get me, don't get me. I just, yeah, I just, I'm just gonna let it go. Uh, but for that moment, they were in St. Louis, and this kid, Kurt Warner, you know, packing boxes, comes along, and you know, and it was it's a really quite good, a story. It was quite a story. It's a true story. It's a, it's a beautiful story. I didn't even know most of that story. I just remember him, you know, his wife, who's a bunch of years older, and a lot of people made fun of that, and and he won the Super Bowl, and uh, you know, and and now I have all, you know, now that the Rams are a Super Bowl champ again, you know, it's really perfect timing. You couldn't have written a better script for it. But uh, this is also on 4K. I don't know that this needs to be on 4K, but the guys who directed this, the Irwin brothers, who yeah. I think have a, a pretty strong future. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's really, really sweet. It's a, it's a nice, it's nicely put together. Dennis Quaid shows up in this. Zachary uh, Levi is great too. He plays, he plays, uh, Shazam or whatever, you, you know, the, the yeah. Marvel. Yeah. yeah. I, and I think to myself, what, did, what, what, what movie could this guy do where he's not in those tights? <laughs> where they, yeah. oh, this movie, <laughs> this, this is exactly right. He's actually a big guy. I don't know if you've ever actually seen him. He is. I know. He's, he's bigger guy, than, but, yeah. he's bigger than you think he is. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and then uh, the last 4K title this week: "The Many Saints of Newark." Uh, who made Tony Soprano? This is yeah. the Sopranos prequel with uh, James Gandolfini's son playing him younger. Um, I just don't. I, mean, I, I, I have any use for this. I got no use for this. But uh, there it is, and I do love Alessandro Nivola in it. 
uh, and Leslie Odom Jr. walking around it too. I mean, I, so there's stuff I like about it, but but you know, I'm good with my Tony Soprano, dude. You know, it just, yeah, whatever. I yeah. I just I I I worry about this tendency to milk franchises until they are just you know un- un- until they're just shriveled up dried fruit and. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of that going on. Oh, let's bring back all the, the girls from uh, Sex and the City, and 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 now that they're you know uh, well past menopause, and let's you know force them to act sexy again on t- TV. Oh, let's bring back everybody from Will and Grace now oh. that they're all shriveled up too, and let's make them you know suffer through that shtick again. Oh, let's 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 do whatever we can with with uh, the Sopranos. Oh yeah, Gandolfini's dead, but let's exploit his son. I mean, I know that sounds really cynical, but no. I feel like you know, there's at a certain point you've got to let these things go. You yes. can't keep trying to squeeze them. Just come up with new franchises. So yeah, I do a new idea, like- a new idea. Quit milking it. Quit, quit going back to the well. Uh, it can get, and, and you know, I, I'm not going to say all of it's always terrible, but nine times out of ten, it is. Uh, certainly, yeah. cer- cer- certainly seven out of ten. And, 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 you know, I, and it just seems kind of, look, I remember, I remember enjoying the Brady Bunch movies. Yeah, I agree. Uh, some, some 30 or 40 years after the end of the Brady Bunch. Yeah. Uh, it, it, but it was a complete, it was a movie and it yeah. didn't, it didn't drag, drag, uh, you know, right. I, think, I think they were all still alive at the time. All, you know, it didn't drag them out and right. make, and make a movie with all the old Brady's, you know, 30, yeah. 40, 50 years old. Now they just did it again. Uh, this is this this is the same thing in reverse. But you know, I'm like, for one thing, this is anticlimactic to me because I know what happens to all these people. Corey Stahl, Corey Stahl playing Junior Soprano. Yeah. I know how he goes down. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, Corey, yeah. I do. Yeah, yeah, I, point. yeah. I know. How, I know what happens to all of these people. So, so, so I can't get invested in these folks. With, yeah, I know what happens to Leota's. Lo- Lo- so you know, I don't know. Weird, weird set of choices to me. Yeah, I agree. No, I agree. Well, anyway, let's let's move on. Let's do some TV. Um, I want to I want to put a, our first shout out. Um, this came out end of last year, but we a lot of this stuff we were not able to to get because for a lot of reasons, fulfillment and you know, like you know, all those shipping containers that are out there off yeah. the off the coast of everywhere that make it hard to get your food. Yeah, that's that's impacted DVDs and Blu-rays too. Yeah. So we're 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 ramping up. We're going to do a little bit of catching up here. Small Axe, the uh, the the Steve oh, yeah. McQueen series of five films, which won our LAFCA award last year for best film uh, was not eligible for the Oscars because it was, it was deemed to be a television production, but these are in fact five individual films. Mm. And, and that's what makes this, I think so incredible. I'm disappointed. There isn't a Blu-ray of this. This is only from BBC as a DVD. It's very disappointing. So I hope that there is, is some kind of a Blu-ray release or a 4k release would be preferable. That that BBC realizes there's a real audience for this. These Steve McQueen made five individual films, at least two of which I would say are the best films he's ever made. Mm. And they are all basically about the experiences, the culture, the uh, the life of the West Indies immigrant community in the UK in the 1970s and 80s, which mm-hmm. I think is a very interesting and specific thing. And that means people of the Caribbean, British citizens in the Caribbean of African descent from many hundreds of years earlier who go back to the United Kingdom to establish a community in London, 
and that means people from Jamaica, from the Bahamas, from you know that whole that mm-hmm. whole Caribbean area where they where there are still British territory, still still um, British you know, Virgin Brit- Islands, British Virgin all Islands, all of that, and and that's a very particular community which exists in the UK, independent of any African expatriates as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. It's a very specific community with a very specific culture and a, a very specific time, the seventies and the eighties. Uh, and I thought these films are beautiful. Every yeah. single one of them. Yeah, Every yeah. one of them. Hey, hey, extraordinary. If you look at, if you look at the uh, rotten tomatoes, they, their, their tomato approval ranges between 97 and 99. It's, <laughs> they, amazing. Know, it's, 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 it's extraordinary. And they're very different films, uh, uh, telling, telling very, uh, diverse stories. Um, a lover's rock happens to be my favorite, although Alex, yeah, that's Eagle most people's favorite is a, yeah, well, it's just this beautiful film and it has to do with this lover's rock is a certain kind of music that's very pop- popular during that period of time. And, uh, uh, and, but they're, they're, they're all very, very strong. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and I, so what does anything come with those? Does anything, uh, Tim, there's almost nothing oh, here. There's, there are, there are basically featurettes. Okay, there, well, you know, that's it. I mean, there are a few feet, but but it's it's not nearly enough. I what I wanted, what I most want, and this is why I hope that there's a special edition coming. I want I want Steve McQueen commentaries me on too. all of these. Yep, me too. Because I, mean. I I want to hear where it because he he is of West Indies ancestry. That's why he did this. He he you know and and his and his co writer on a couple of these also. And and I want to hear the personal connection. I want to know you know because this is the first time that he's made anything that's really that personal. You know, Twelve Years a Slave is an American story. Yeah. And he's not American. Yeah. Um, shame, uh, shame is not shame, really. Shame's not really. Shame is a is yeah. you know a very. A, I mean you know is whatever. I mean the the Bobby. Uh, oh yeah, the, uh, Bobby Sand that movie. The Bobby uh, Sands yeah. movie. You know, yeah. he, well he's Steve McQueen's not Irish. He's you know so these are he's made movies that are disconnected from his very personal experience. I'm sure he can find you know. Well, they're 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 they're, they're 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 part of the British experience, and he's British, so they matter to him. All of those. All but of this one's super that, personal. That, so that, I, yeah. I want those. Yeah, I want those commentaries. My favorite here, uh, by far, is uh, is Red, White, and Blue, the the yeah. John Boyega story, where oh, he's yeah. this, where he's a scientist who decides to become a cop, and you know his dad is this very proud immigrant, and you know the the it, it deals with racism in the policing and the sacrifice that he makes, and um, there's just some amazing amazing stuff in there, and where you see McQueen who. I didn't used to really like as a filmmaker. I thought he was just, there was too much of a kind of a pretentious artist in there. Mm. Like there was too much of the, the, um, of the, uh, of the, Peter, of the, the, pre, the Peter Greenaway impulse. Oh, yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. And, and he's gotten away from that to where he now has this amazing confidence in just like, there's a shot, for example, where the camera is in the back of the car and they're talking and they get out and they walk and the conversation transpires in front of the car and you're still in the camera in the back seat. Yeah, he didn't go outside. He didn't cut to the conversation in front of the car. He just had so much confidence in the staging of that shot that he said, "You know what? This is my spot. Yeah, I got my camera here. I, I, I can make the scene work without without budging an inch. I trust the actors. I trust the frame. That that level of filmmaker confidence just it, I get tingles. Yeah, you know yeah. when I see that and I and I love it. And so I you know hopefully get it now. Double dip when you need to. Yeah, yeah." Can't go wrong. Uh, other other TV man, what do you, what else do you see there? I uh, what is what is Tiger is, is, is there? Oh, that's the yeah, that's the uh, so let let's hit those. Those are the two uh, uh, HBO Tiger and Tina. Yeah, Tiger and Tina. Let's do those. Uh, these are the doc the HBO docs Blu-ray for Tina. Um, just a DVD for Tiger. 
I kind of makes sense. You get, you know, Tiger doesn't demand a, a Blu-ray per se. There's a mm. lot of footage here that's just not going to uh, do well. Yeah, um, you know, Tiger Woods, HBO Sports, um, I, I, solid I, doc. I really enjoyed the first half of that documentary because it took me back. It's about three uh, hours long, so that yeah. first half is <laughs> a, yeah, a lot. Of it. But, but that took me back uh, uh, to, to, you know, we see, you know, young because he was a prodigy. Uh, yeah. At such a young age, there's footage of Tiger Woods from a you know childhood, young, young, young little boy uh, on the on on the Merv Griffin show with his daddy, you know, swinging yeah. swinging golf clubs and stuff. So there there was this uh, constant sort of coverage of him, and all of that was interesting to me. I remembered all of that, and it took me back to that the sort of interesting moment that again occurred with Tiger with respect to the black community because. People have, when, when, when Tiger first hit the scene, Tiger was a, w- w- was a black golfer. He was in Nike commercials and stuff. Yeah, he I was, know. He was a he, he, Spike Lee directed all this kind of stuff. And then there came this moment, uh, and it's in the movie, and people will remember it. And and Tiger decided not to be a black golfer anymore, uh, and with this very yeah. sort of deliberate sort of thing. And and the entire black community went, "Oh, really." <laughs> you know, and it was a very, very interesting thing. And then the second half of the documentary, uh, you know, documents all of the sort of wackiness that happens later in his life with the, you know, with the wife and the girlfriend. The wife and the All that stuff is less interesting to me. But that first, that sort of historical stuff, that was very, very captivating. I agree. I agree. And I and I think part of the issue for me, even though it's very good in the in its running time, which is long, I mean, it's well over three hours. But it uh, this is a story that still hasn't been finished. Oh yeah. So there's there's a final act to his career and his life, which we are still in the process of witnessing. So I do feel like it's a little premature, as opposed to Tina who is uh, now happily married and perfectly happy with uh, the fact that her career has, has, has played its way out. And she's just sort of living in uh, the, 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 the wake of that. Um, if you, if you saw what's love got to do with it, you know, a lot of the story, but you don't know all of the story. And there's a lot that this really fills in. And this is only two hours and it's dense and it's wonderful. And the music is amazing. But the um, the most interesting part of this, I think, is that aspect of Tina Tina Turner's career, where we forget that after she bailed on Ike, finally got the courage to cut Ike loose. At a certain point, she was considered old and over the hill. This is mm-hmm. in the '80s. Mm-hmm. Now, now I remember Tina Turner in the '70s. I certainly, you know, remember her, you know, flashing those legs on Shot oh, and all that other stuff, and and back in you know '60s, early '70s, being on the Tom Jones show, and she and Tom Jones just cutting it up hard. But but Tina of the '80s was a different generation, mm-hmm. and she was already much older than other '80s artists. There are no artists in the '80s who who date back into the yeah. '60s. Yep. And she reinvented herself, not as an R&B artist, but as a rock artist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this doc gets into detail on what an incredible risk that was and how she just embraced it. And for that reason alone, you know, this is you're talking about a timeless, courageous artist. And if you if you thought you had respect for Tina Turner before over what she went through in her career, what she suffered with Ike and all the rest of that, watch this doc. It mm. will improve it tenfold. This woman is a is a is a treasure. Tina 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 was born in Nutbush, Tennessee. Yeah, uh, 1939. She's 82. Tina's more or less the same age as my mother. She's a little younger. Indeed, uh, my mother. Uh, they went to the same high school. My mother was a freshman when Tina was a senior, and and she and she always tells us about how this guy used to drive up in this Cadillac, 
and, and Tina was like, go and get in the car with this guy in this Cadillac. And you know, at the time, you know, yeah, just, yeah. Hey, who's this? that's a, she's just being fast. It was Ike <laughs> who she was getting in the car with uh, and, and driving off and, mm. and drove off to become Tina Turner. Uh, eventually had to leave Ike behind. <laughs> but but uh, it's just funny uh, how small the world actually is. Tina Turner, she's yeah, so awesome. It is. So awesome. Uh, let, let's hit a couple of the uh, these other uh, universal titles here. We've got uh, Chicago Med season six, which I have not watched consistently across its series. I uh, oddly enough, I just saw Jason Begay about two weeks ago at a wedding. Yeah, uh, and and connected with him, who, who pops in now and again. Uh, Jason Begay of Chicago, of, uh, Chicago PD, but Chicago Med, all these Chicago shows, they all interlocked and cross over. And Jason's the only person who ever really shows up on all of them. But um, you know, man, Dick Wolf. I just want to say, look, I. If it, you watch a couple episodes of, of season six, here's the thing: I have I have seen, I saw maybe most of season. I saw a couple episodes of season one. I saw most of season two to try to catch up. Mm-hmm. Kind of lost the thread around three. Didn't see anything in four or five. Mm-hmm. I kid you not. I take this season six. I watch the first episode, dude. <laughs> I am caught up. I know every single thing yeah. that has happened on that show in the last two years. So say what you will about Dick Wolf, but somehow these shows are, they, they go down as easy as like a glass of water. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Yeah, there it is, man. Um, we've also got a new Amsterdam. Have you seen any new Amsterdam? That's that doctor <laughs> show. It's a young, young, young doctor yeah. guy, right? One, another one of those. Yeah. yeah, yeah Ryan, think- Ryan Eggold plays Max Goodwin, which is like a, why is a doctor's name never, never anything like, uh, like, like Joe Matursky or something? You know? <laughs> why, why does he never have a name like a steel worker? Why is it always like Max Goodwin? <laughs> Emphasis be, on the good. His name should be Dr. Doctor. And yeah. Just, let's just get to it. Yeah, it's one of those shows, you know, the good doctor shows. I used to love those. Yeah, I mean, we go way back. We go back yeah. to, I go back. I'm why am I dragging you down with me? I, I go back. I go back to Medical Center, Chad Everett. And yeah. to me, that was, he, that's the, that's the Medical Center, the Chad Everett, Everett sort of um, show of its, of, of, of this era is what that show struck me as. I just I I can't stop harping on the name. His name is Max Goodwin. It's Max. <laughs> it's Max because you get good service to the max. He's good, and he gives you such good service to the max that you're gonna win. So he's Max Goodwin. It's just I don't know how strange. people don't laugh at that every single week. Oh, I'm sure they got to be making fun of that <laughs> in the show. Uh, uh, twenty-two seasons into Law and Order Special Victims Unit, and this show somehow just keeps on ticking. I don't know how, um, but you know, uh, it just it just keeps on. A lot of new cast members here. I haven't seen this in a couple of years. Again, I watched like one episode. I'm I'm all caught up. Yeah. I'm all caught up. I'm like, yeah. oh, so they promoted her to captain. Okay, that's good. Yeah. That's rock solid. Uh, yeah, yeah, honestly, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's the same thing. Olivia Benson doing what she's doing now, except now that she's, you know, she's captain now. Uh, here's, here's what, here's what really impresses me most about this show. Ice tea must be worth a billion dollars by now. <laughs> you think, <laughs> you think. Who would have, like, who would have thought when he was, when he was singing, when he was doing Cop Killer back in 80, <laughs> 82 or 83, that he would wind up spending 22 years of his life playing a cop. Oh, Ice did. <laughs> Ice, used always tell, Ice used to always tell me, you know, you, you know, you people take all this shit way too seriously. <laughs> That's so true. He, he used to tell me that all the time. Oh, 20 years gosh. ago, he's like, 
Oh, for God's sakes, man. A cop killer. I live in the Hollywood Hills. <laughs> <laughs> then we've also got Devils Season 1. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, this is really interesting. I, uh, I I had not seen any of this. This is from Sky Studios. I had seen none of this when it when it aired. Um, this is actually a really really interesting world. I mean, this is it's it. I like high, this high, better high than finance. high finance. High finance. But I like this a lot better than Billions. I do. Oh, yeah. it's Billions is too much of a cat and mouse. It, this is this is more more intrigue. There's more nuance to this. There's more sort of moral ambiguity. I I. I and and I really it's it's not soapy at all. I mean, it really gets into. I mean, there's a lot of interesting character stuff in here, but the um, it's not kind of dirty and grungy and Dallas or Dynasty. It's it's none of that stuff. I mean, it really has some very very interesting stuff. Gets into you know the 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 digital world, the interface between um, hacking and the dark web and and high finance yeah. and all of this stuff. It, it tries to, it tries to keep the reality of the way these worlds work. And there are these characters. You know what's his name? Uh, Patrick Dempsey and yeah, and, and the other pretty boy with the beard. You and, and all of that kind of stuff. But it tries to keep the reality of the way the worlds work. The reason why people, what they're doing and how they're doing it, that's a whole lot of explaining. There's a lot of yeah. explaining going on. Kind of like the movie Margin Call from a couple yeah. of years ago. But, but I kind of appreciate that, you know. Yeah. 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 It, it's it's a sharp show. So I think it has a, has a good future. Uh, and then where are we on the blacklist? This is the eighth season. Did you wow. ever imagine that James Spader uh, would, would push through eight seasons on this thing? I was good for the first. I mean, this is on Blu-ray. It's clearly doing well because mo- most of these other shows, they leave it on DVD because they think people are just going to, you know, it's not worth uh, collecting. But man, the audience for this thing, this is from Sony. And they 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 said, we're going to put this out on, on Blu-ray because people love this show. Eight seasons is a long time for a premise mm. that I thought was going to run dry pretty much after that first season. Yeah, I'm like, well, yeah. you know, it might have ran dry after that first season. But nevertheless, they did seven more. And there yeah. they are. They got a lot any good stuff on there. Uh, yeah, there's there you know there's bloopers, which is in deleted scenes, which is kind of fine because the show is so in, kind of intense and heavy that it, you need a little bit of steam blown off. Otherwise, not really much. It's mm. it's this it's the show itself, but some good acting on it. Rick and Morty, uh, Rick and Morty, Rick and Morty, yeah, and, and I, Rick and Morty, because this is seasons one through five, which is which would be just about my seasons. Yeah, Rick, you know, I tapped out of Rick and Morty a while, uh, yeah, 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 but but one through five is it when I was kind of still into it and, and and appreciating the sort of dry, droll, uh, sarcastic uh, thing that was going on there. Got on my nerves after a while, but you know, for a while there, I really, really loved Rick and Morty. You know, I, I, I'm so cynical about this stuff. It's a Blu-ray, has digital code on it. You, you know, you can do the the whole the whole schmear. But they have a poster in this, which no one will ever use. <laughs> and and then they put a they put a great big red sticker on on it uh, that says "Warning: Uncensored Content," <laughs> which is clearly not a warning. It's a marketing <laughs> tool. That always cracks me up. Like, oh, like there's some parents out there who are saying, I think I'm going to buy. Oh, no, I better not buy this for my four-year-old because there's uncensored content. No, I'm not going to let little Susie watch any Rick and Morty. Give me a break. Yeah. It, this year, it's like it's like saying, "Oh, warning! Not South Park is not not <laughs> child friendly." I mean, come on, whatever. Uh, um, Rick, uh, Rick would make funny if you if if you used that poster. By the way, you don't want to. Use that. <laughs> so true. Rick would mock you. Uh, uh, we got the fourth season of Head of the Class with Howard Hessman, uh, the, the late Howard Hessman. Uh, yeah, we just lost Howard episodes. not too long ago, right? Yeah. I know it's very sad. Really missing him, and then of course Billy Connolly took over after yeah. uh, after he was done. But this is the uh, this is the uh, the final year 
of uh, Howard Hessman's run on uh, Head of the Class, and uh, you know it's it's a good nostalgic show. So uh, I, yeah. I think it I think it works. Uh, we've also got the third season of Manifest. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's okay, I, right? I, I work my it's that wacky show, but I work my way through all those. Uh, uh, you know, one of these shows, you know, the, 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 an airplane disappeared five, six years ago and suddenly reappears full of the people, you know, who were, where, where were they? Where they the 828ers, the 828ers. Yeah. The yeah. It's the same thing as, as the 4400. They're like that. This has been done like a dozen times, but you know what? I hung in there for a while. Kind of dug yeah, it. Yeah, I did too. I did too. Uh, second season of Prodigal Son, talking about a show that's run its course. I, I this is on Blu-ray. I I just don't see the point anymore. Mm-hmm. I think the first I think the first season kind of really pushed all the buttons that they could push. This feels a little bit on fumes. I will be surprised if this lasts much longer. If this thing goes to eight seasons, um, I'm checking out, dude. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of of taking something, of taking a concept and just yeah. squeezing it. Yeah. Dexter, the Dexter New Blood. Why are we back with Dexter? If if this was if this had any juice in it, why'd they take it off the air in the first place? I what well, you know it's a question. I, look in 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 our homie Sherm, big Dexter fan, the whole you know the original Dexter, right? So this thing pops up and he's kind of excited about it. And 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 you know, and then I hit him up after after you know it's it had been out there for a while. He said, Ah, you know what? <laughs> I watched two and I was See? out. See, he was a big fan. Yeah, but that, that's that. how I was with Will and Grace. Yeah. How I was with Will and Grace. Um, so we got a bunch from Showtime here, which which uh, we only recently got, and and uh, I've managed to to push through a bunch of these. The rest I actually saw previously. So let tell me what. So first of all, I want I want to call attention to one of these, which was also Oscar nominated, and and which Questlove, you know, he honored all of his co nominees. But yeah. this is the one that won the Directors Guild Award. Yeah. This, yeah. And I think it also won the the, uh, the the Documentary Association Award, and that is Attica. Stanley's movie. Uh, yeah. with Stanley Nelson. Now, if you haven't followed Stanley Nelson, Stanley Nelson has been an ace documentarian for a long time. Most of his films are are uh, are based around the the story of the Civil Rights Movement and Black History in America, but he's also done things like the Jonestown Doc. Mm-hmm. From you know, fifteen years ago or whatever that was, just blew my mind. He's been a regular with um with oh, uh, Amer- American experience, experience, experience and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And he is he is really one of our along with uh you know Tracy Curry. Yes, along with Tracy Curry. And he and he is he is right up there with Ken Burns yeah. uh as one of our preeminent documentarians. He never stops working. Attic is an amazing doc. I didn't yeah. watch this until like a couple of weeks ago. Oh, I you I I, I I watched this for the radio show, so so when it first came yeah. out, I watched it, and you know, and, and it was, a, and it's a fantastic thing. It's Attica, of course, you know, and they've been, through, but but what what sets this one apart is that they were finally able to acquire and use yes. the, the closed circuit video footage uh, that has been there for the last almost fifty years. How uh, have we not seen it? Oh, uh, lawsuits. <laughs> Uh, d- 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 I mean, that's d- just, but that, yeah. see that that's and and see this is I wanted this is a thing a point I wanted to make to you. I'm glad you brought that up. Because sometimes the hard work of being a documentarian is not in the making of the film. It's in getting the material to make the film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I just do not understand how, how uh, that was unavailable for so long. But whatever Nelson did to get that footage. Pfft. And it's funny because he did the exact same thing effectively that Quest, Amir, did uh, with Summer of Soul. There was this footage sitting someplace. Uh, that you know, people knew about, but didn't really know about it, and it just got lost to time. Uh, Questlove it, it hears about it, finds it, pulls it together, and sorts a story out out of it. 
you know, sorts the story that's there out of it. Uh, Stanley does the same thing over here. There's this footage. Uh, and, uh, and what the footage basically does for years and years and years, uh, you know, many of the people who were, were at Attica, in Attica, involved in Attica on both sides have told these stories. But what this footage allows is, is, is a visual images, a visual representation of literally the stories that's been told. So stories that, that, that have been told about what happened inside Attica, uh, by various people are, 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 are now, uh, corroborated by actual images. So when somebody says, well, this is what happened to me, then he cuts to the footage of that happening to him. Yeah. And it, and it can, it, it, it frames it as a thing that you can't, uh, that you can't uh, in, say, oh, well, there's probably hyperbole. No, <laughs> it's yeah. not hyperbole. Here, here it is right here, exactly as it is. And it's really, really strong. Although I'm still glad Summer of Soul uh, won the other. No, I, I am too. And I think both films have gotten their due in, in the award season. And yeah. you know what? Um, I mean, uh, Stanley's career is not taking a hit because he didn't win the Oscar. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll win an Oscar one of these days. And if, if he doesn't, nobody cares because he's, he's a legend. Yeah, I mean, he really he's, is. He's, a, he's an American documentary legend. Uh, season two of City on a Hill, also on oh, Showtime, yeah. also on DVD. Uh, I never saw season one, so I was kind of catching up a little bit here. This is a pretty good show. It's got, a, it's kind of a, got kind of a wire vibe to it. Yeah. A little bit. It takes place in a housing project. And it's all about the politics that goes on. This, you know, FBI agent, district attorney. So that that's that's uh that's not bad. It's in the early nineties. I like that whole yeah. early nineties look and feel and those double breasted suits and yeah. It, get, it gets that it gets that real good. It gets that it yeah. Nails all that. Yeah. See, this is real. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, we got a, we got a couple of really interesting here. I want to kind of mention these in one breath because the real Charlie Chaplin and the one and only Dick Gregory, uh, I thought are both really, really, really good. And these are, these are both Showtime documentaries that sort of bookend a fascinating period in American entertainment. And, and this is the thing. The amount of time that transpired between Chaplin's heyday and that of Dick Gregory that is a more compressed period than what we have experienced since Dick Gregory. Oh wow! If you think about it, I yeah, mean, from yeah. the tw- from the twenties, and Dick Gregory really kind of comes of age late fifties with that generation of, of of inner city comics, and you go from Chaplin's heyday, which is about you know eighteen nineteen twenty up to nineteen sixty. That's forty years. We're yeah, we're, oh, si- yeah. we're 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 sixty years past Dick Gregory. So, you know, in 40 years to go from Charles Chaplin and silent film to Dick Gregory being a significant figure on, you know, pioneering uh, black comic on television is a really interesting trajectory. So uh, that's why I was looking at these two docs and I thought that's a, that's a really interesting bookend to this period of American history and comedy and, and what we find funny and so forth. And what I, what I find interesting is that both Chaplin and Dick Gregory found humanity and humor and pathos in the downtrodden. Mm-hmm. And and there is an American tradition in that, and I think it's really beautiful. So both of these are beautiful documentaries, uh, and you know Dick Gregory, seminal figure, Charles Chaplin, you know beyond seminal. There wouldn't be a film industry without him. So yeah. a couple of great docs there. Uh, season two of Couples Therapy, uh, which I had never watched until this came in. Did you watch any of this? <laughs> no, not that one. It, it's uh, it, it, <sighs> it, I feel I feel dirty. <laughs> I, feel, I do. I feel dirty. It's uh, it, it, this is, it, I, I feel like I shouldn't be there. This is a documentary series about, you know, people sitting down with a, with a psychologist and, uh, and 
talking a little bit too intimately about things I don't want to know yeah, about. Yeah, this is this. Yes, I don't live. Uh, this is this this is a, this is a post hour generation thing, man. I know uh, where where people for whatever reason are perfectly happy to take all of the business of their personal business and just. Flop it out there. I know on TV and a reality show and a, on at a red table talk. That's one of Will's problems, by the way. That red table talk, Will. Oh dude, yeah, yeah, no, dude. That's one of your problems right there, son. Uh, get your business out of the off Instagram. <laughs> that's that's crazy. Uh, but yeah, and but this is that, and I can't. I just can't do it. I don't get it either. Well, then there's also a four part docu series that J.J. Uh, Abrams and Bad Robot did called UFO. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I was afraid was going to be all kinds of, you know, uh, the aliens are here, they're among us, and, uh, you know, just just it, like in search of or some damn thing. But actually, it's not. It's yeah. um, uh, it's a it's a little more intelligent and high minded than that, and uh, it does get a little bit into: Are they hiding something from us? Is there an alien, you know, somewhere in a U.S. lab somewhere from Area Fifty One or something? But. Uh, otherwise, I think it's an interesting psychological look at, uh, you know, the, the sub, the sub, the, the, the tagline on this is, are you ready? And I think that's kind of the thrust of the show is, are we psychologically ready for the possibility of extraterrestrial contact? Mm-hmm. I will say, speaking for me, I, you can speak differently. Speaking for me, after the slap heard around the world and uh, the pandemic and war in Ukraine and every other damn thing that's going on. I, I, if aliens showed up tomorrow, I'd be like, please take us away. Just take me away from all this, please. <laughs> Hey, I'm rooting for it. Rooting for it. As long as it's not those aliens from uh, uh, Independence Day. Yeah. They, they had a bad attitude. Uh, yeah, that, they, yeah. But the rest of the aliens would be okay with me. Oh, you know what I see at the, at the bottom of the TV list? Uh, Charmed, Nancy Drew, and Dynasty. Yes. Uh, and, and, and believe it or not, I'm a CW. You know me and my CW situation. Yeah. And, and I've even gotten sucked in. Look, Flash and Supergirl. Uh, yeah, yes, sure. Uh, but I've even gotten sucked into Charmed, which I will admit I was a Charmed fan back in the '90s. The first time Charmed was on, Shannon Doherty and 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 and, and, and whoever and whoever, uh, and then, then they brought in Rose McGowan. I was a, I was a fan way back then. And, and here, we've been talking crap about milking it, milking it, milking it, and they bring Charmed back. Uh, but I have to tell you, thoroughly enjoying it. It's literally the same show, except for these, you know, the the, the charm ones and all that that kind of stuff. It, it, but they're so com- cute and sexy, and it's funny, and I like it. It completely is. And Paramount's doing a really smart thing here. And and what they're doing is they're releasing the original Charmed on Blu-ray, which it never was before. Mm-hmm. At the same time, they're releasing the new Charmed on DVD. So they're 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 you know they're working the franchise in a very very smart way so that the people who are new to it watching the new show and I got mm-hmm. season three here, which I will admit I didn't watch season one or two. Watch season three, it's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean the you know I I don't know any of these actresses, but I'm okay with them. I'm fine with them. But um, the it, it, once you watch you know and that's released with season six and seven of the original on Blu-ray. And uh, no, it's got the same vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it, it definitely kind of plays to the same audience. So I I think yeah. they're I think they're doing fine. Mystical, magical girl, a little yeah, bit of girl power. I like that. I like that. It's fine. And I love you know. Look, I I adore Rose McGowan. I really do. I know that she's uh, unstable as can be. Uh, yeah. But you know what? Girls got guts, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Crazy yeah. background and yeah. had a tough life, so you know, yeah, 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 you, you, you earned a little bit of crazy. Nancy Drew, that's another yeah. one, right? Yeah, uh, and again, 
Yeah, I, I, I can, I can hear the people after now. Is, is this guy really? <laughs> yes, I love me some Nancy Drew. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 everybody's so cute, and sexy, it's mystical and magical, and you know, he has, 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 has some just fun stuff in there. And I love the way they sort of mixed it all up in this, this Nancy Drew. I, at first, I thought it was going to be uh, what was, what was the other one? Um, uh, I can't, Veronica Mars. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, which yeah. was which is straightforward, but Nancy Drew is mystical and magical. Well, uh, let me which, tell you, I I I have had to review all of the attempted reboots of Nancy Drew in the movies, mm. and there was there was the one with uh, uh, Emma Roberts. Oh yeah, uh, not so great. Then there was another one recently with um uh with what's her name from uh, Stranger Things. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, little, yeah, 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 and that Bob, wasn't Bob, so great. Bobby, Joe, Billy, Billy, yeah, Bobby. Billy, Millie, Billy, Millie, 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 Bobby, Millie, Bobby Brown, yeah, and that wasn't so great either. And I, and I, and I was trying to wrap my head around it, and I think I may have said this on the on radio as well, but that it's like you know the whole point of Nancy Drew is not the mystery; it is the mysteries. Yes, it's a TV thing. Yeah, it's 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 about the fact that she keeps doing it and she keeps getting better. And it's the growth through doing – it's not that this is about a girl who solves a mystery. You're never going to get a film series based on this. No. But a TV series, yes. And it's well cast. It's well written. And I think they've I think they've nailed it this time. It's the first time since uh, Pamela Sue Martin, right, that I've – Yeah. That, that we've got it on TV. Yeah. I'm all into it. I'm all into it. Uh, that's the first time I've heard the word Pamela C- Sue Martin, and certainly it would come from you. <laughs> well, well, speaking of Pamela Sue Martin, who was on the original Dynasty for a minute, mm-hmm. uh, let's move to Dynasty, Dynasty season four. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they all have the same names, uh, the character names, you know, yeah. Blake, Blake and, and, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, but, but the real boss of the show isn't so much Blake uh, as it is uh, uh, his daughter. Uh, yeah. And Crystal, and it's kind of fun, kind of yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah, I I agree. And, uh, you know, the original Dynasty went off the rails when they spun it off into the Carringtons. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they stuck Charlton Heston on that show for some unknown reason. And then, like, at the end of the first or second season, uh, there's a there's a UFO abduction. I, I remember watching that and thinking, you're, you're, you're really just – now you yeah. hate the audience. Yeah. Now you are just purely ridiculing the audience. You're daring us. You're daring us. This is this is a this is an act of hostility, and I'm not going to watch your stupid show anymore. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, there there's something to all of this. I will say though that the that other shows which have kind of raised the bar on this and have borrowed from the format, Empire being uh, the most successful and recent one, really do kind of force them to step it up. I didn't think that the first reboot of Dallas was that great, mm-hmm. and then Larry Hagman went and died, and you know, yeah. kind of sent that into a tailspin. But this feels a little more solid. Feels like they got a little more of a handle on it. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not near. Well, not the the original Dynasty was serious. Dynasty Falcon Crest Dallas. They weren't <laughs> serious, but they 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 fancied themselves as dramas. Yeah, I'll, I'll put it like that. This show does not really does not fancy itself as a drama. It's not a, it's not a sitcom or anything. But those CW no. shows live in a fairly nebulous spot uh, where they you, where you can't take any of them seriously, uh, even yeah. if nothing mystical or magical is going on. Uh, and uh, and because you can't take any of them seriously, I think is why I probably like it. They don't take themselves seriously, and you don't have to either. So we got uh, season two of a couple, a few other things on Showtime, real fast. Berlin Station season oh, yeah. two, <coughs> excuse me, which is uh, which is which is an okay show. I think it's uh, I think it, I think in light of what's happening right now in Europe, it's mm. a little bit hard to take the intrigue here seriously. Mm. The L word generation Q uh, kind of uh, yeah, it feels also a little bit um, 
back well, to the well, man, back to the well, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, they they keep they keep going back, and this feels like it's sort of past its prime. I think the L word the first time around made more sense. Work yeah. in progress, also season two. Um, yeah, not I don't really quite get the whole point of this. I I think it it. You know, this this goes a little bit to something that I'm going to be saying about a different movie on on radio this week. But um, if you're going to have a show that is sort of gay themed, which this one is, this is about, a you know, she's this aging lesbian and, and all of the issues that she encounters. Don't traffic in gay stereotypes to mm. such a degree that you're going to alienate everyone mm. because people who are too conservative are going to be like, I'm not watching that show. And people who are very, very liberal are going to watch it. And they're going to be like, Oh, that's just, that's just bigoted. It's just filled with stereotypes. Like mm. you've literally alienated everybody. Mm. Pick a side. And if you can't pick a side, don't make it. Well, you, what you have to do, I think is, 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 is build a show that reflects the reality of, of a diversity of both character in the community. Um, yeah. uh, you know, uh, look, my, 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 some of my gayest friends, and you know, I have a lot of gay friends, <laughs> are, are, are the macho-list motherfuckers you've ever met in your life. Uh, uh, dude, you listen to Film Week this week. You will hear me go off. <laughs> you, I'm telling you, you, like, you will hear me go off. You will hear me go off. I'll, we'll talk about it after the show. All right, I'll we'll talk about that. Yeah, okay. And then, uh, and then there's uh, the Showtime uh, documentary series Buried, which I found incredibly uh, creepy. Real crime stuff, which they do a lot of on Netflix. Yeah, uh, really kind of gets under my skin at a certain I, point. I, I don't like it at all, but anyway, yeah. But uh, this is this th- the crime here and the trial that it that it details is. Um, is interesting if you have the stomach for it, but mm. I I just don't anymore. I'm getting getting too old for that stuff. A yeah. uh, couple of vintage TV things I want to make mention of the uh, the O Henry Playhouse, the complete oh. series from Classic Flicks, is now in volume two, um, and a lot of wonderful stuff here. I mean, really, really wonderful stuff. Uh, o Henry's real name for those who who you know may have not studied in school was uh, William Porter, mm-hmm. but O Henry is just better for writing short stories, especially the ones that we all know so well. And uh, they did this is back when they would do, you know, t- plays for television or adaptations of short stories for television. And there are a lot of amazing actors in this really great directors. Uh, you're just going to see a lot of your favorite character actors show up here when they're a lot younger. And it's really, really fun. Tommy yeah. Kirk and and uh, and Chuck Connors and, uh, you know, uh, William Shallert shows up here. Really, mm. really fun stuff. So you know what, you know what I always loved about all the all the yeah. Porter O Henry stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, Porter Porter spent a, a goodly amount of time in jail, uh, which yeah. is where he developed his writing skill. And 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 if you read a lot of those O Henry stories, a lot of them are are, are about are jailbird stories. Uh, yeah. and, and the protagonist is somebody who's in jail or just got out of jail. <laughs> or it's, it's really, really sort of interesting. So he was, and because of that, uh, you know, because you know the prisons aren't segregated. Uh, o. Henry's stories are incredibly diverse uh, yeah. because you know in jail, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. everybody's there, and that's yeah. just interesting. That the guy writing that long ago wrote all of these diverse stories, yeah, because jail is jail. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's a good point. Um, and then we also have the complete collection of Honeymooners specials, finally from MPI on a single disc or a single disc set. Um, and they've released these previously, but they were all kind of scattered. You know, there there's the second Honeymoon set, the Valentine special, and then, and then a, a couple of Christmas specials, including a, a, a Jackie Gleason version of A Christmas Carol. And uh, so they're all together on one set now, and they're just absolutely wonderful, full color. 
Um, you know, these were this is kind of the resurrection of the show uh, uh, long after their original black and white uh, episodes had aired. This is kind of, um, uh, you know, 1970s, I think early 1970s when they were doing these. Um, maybe late, uh, yeah, seventy six to seventy eight. Yeah. So, uh, it was it's it's really really fun stuff, and uh, it's it's well worth checking out. So, uh, the honeymooner specials, Jackie Gleason, you can do no wrong. Mm. Uh, Tim, why don't we talk about some of these these box sets we had hoped to have for for Christmas, and okay. uh, you know where our supply chain is back in order. So, wh- uh, this is there's some really interesting stuff here. First, the Andy Griffith Show finally on Blu-ray. It's been on DVD for a million years. It's finally out now from Paramount on Blu-ray. And I, for one, could not be happier. This show makes me freaking happy. Oh, Why? yeah. Why? Well, me too. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was my, my, my wife Bridget's favorite show. This, this one I love, Lucy, but this too. And I, and I used to wonder about it. I loved it too. Um, I love where it's set and how it's set, and the people, and the nature of it all. It's gentleness, uh, it, yeah, it, it's concerns, it's family. It's all very familiar to me. I grew up, you know, I was, I was, I was born in Tennessee, grew up in the Midwest, and so all that sort of Southern hospitality stuff is very yeah. it's, it's great to me. But this is what I love the most about uh, the Andy Griffith Show. It's Andy Griffith, who he is, uh, in, 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 in the context of that sheriff. Andy is, is a cop who walks around with no gun, don't need one. Because uh, he understands that his authority doesn't come from the sidearm. Uh, his authority comes from who he is. If every cop in America uh, engaged uh, policing, I know we live in not 1950, whenever the hell the end yeah. of the show is on, but with that same attitude, gun or no gun, the attitude is what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, the, I hear the you. Now, the, but who do, they, who, who, who do they give the gun? Barney. Yeah. Barney has the gun, the most and dangerous one and, and one, one bullet. bullet, the most dangerous person in Mayberry <laughs> has, the, has the one gun and the one and the one bullet. And, 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 and that is something that I came to understand with what I loved about that show uh, and that I wish all of policing um, engaged it as the Andy Griffith show does. It's Let wonderful. me tell you something. We've got it. We got a new share, uh, a new sheriff's captain over here. Oh, and in uh, uh, the boot. Yeah, and the and and that guy has reached out and said, "I'm I'm the new guy." Some of you might remember when I was there before, before I was you know, but I wasn't running the station. I'd like to come out and meet everybody. And there's going to be an open house next week at a neighbor's house where he's going to come and he's going to talk to everybody, and everybody's going to talk to him, which I think is the most wonderful thing in the world. Mm. And and it means that we're gonna we're you know you're gonna have the bat phone, you're gonna have that number to him if you need to call him personally on his cell phone and the whole thing. <clears throat> there is something great about having that relationship. The show ran for eight years from 1960 to 68. And, and uh, what I love, dude, this is, this is why you and I are made from the same DNA. <laughs> so, so if, if we're in a room and, and I say this, I say to the room, I'm like, did, uh, did all of you know that uh, Gomer Pyle's cousin stayed in Mayberry and he was a mechanic? The first person who goes, yes, yeah, Goober. That's, that's Tim. Oh, Tim yeah. is the guy. Yep. Yep. Tim, Tim's the first guy who would know that piece of trivia. Go first person. But I will say this too. Ron, seeing Ron Howard as a little kid is also a lot of fun because that guy has had the most charmed life and, yeah. and I begrudge him none of it. I mean, no. he was a, he was a star from the time he was a kid. He was a star as a teenager and then he became a, an adult filmmaker and he won an Academy Award and he had a wonderful family. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know. It's like the worst thing that's ever happened to him is he went bald. 
Hey, but you know what? You, uh, it's also true about Ron. And you and I have been following Ron around professionally, professionally, yep. uh, for, for, for more than 30 years, for more than 30 years. Ron, you never heard one one word of schmack about Ron Howard. Never. I've talked, I've, I've interviewed Ron Howard 25, 30 times. For, yeah, yeah. 25, 30 movies. Yeah, he's never, I've never seen, never heard, never understood there to be anything, nothing. It's just Ron Howard. Uh, and, 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 and I got to tell you, I think that, 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 that is because that's who he is. Yep. Uh, and, 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 and a good guy, you know, sometimes a good guy gets what he's got coming and Ron Howard has gotten what he's got coming. Well, this is a wonderful set. It's on Blu-ray and you got to upgrade if you can. I mean, it looks just perfect in HD and, uh, it includes that fabulous and rarely seen almost. I mean, they're, they're home movies here. There's all kinds of wonderful stuff in the extras, but it includes that rarely seen. Uh, Danny meets Andy Griffith from the Danny Thomas show. So, you know, that was, that was a thing in its day. That was like the crossover that nobody ever dared imagine was possible. Uh, the original MacGyver is out in a complete collection on Blu-ray as well. The new MacGyver, you can, you could not pay me to watch. This is 33 Blu-rays plus the, uh, all of the original episodes, 139 episodes plus two TV movies and, uh, Richard Dean Anderson doing what he does best, which is just taking, Taking spit in a paperclip and somehow mm. turning it into into the coolest stuff ever. I, I love mean, this show. I love, I love I love that MacGyver. And you know what? I I I I did not. I was not a original at the moment that it aired. MacGyver guy. So from from when to when is MacGyver? Does that boy MacGyver? I mean, I, I used to watch it after uh, Monday Night Football. That uh, um, that's when it was, and it aired. I, yeah. I want to say ninety, no, eighty, oh, 80. no, yeah, eighty-five 80. to ninety-two, yeah. eighty-five to ninety-two. All right, yeah, that's what yeah. I thought uh, because yeah. yeah, because because middle nineties, uh, Richard uh, Richard Dean goes on to Stargate after that's after right. that Stargate movie, and he does another twenty years of that. So I was not yeah. an original. So I came to MacGyver in reruns in the nineties, and just fell in love with it. And frankly, Richard Dean Anderson, he's on my list of those guys. For one thing, Richard Dean Anderson has not been off television since whenever you said MacGyver started in 85. Yeah. He has until until he, he retired like a couple of years ago. He did a last one or two Stargates. Uh, he's about 75 now. Yeah. And, and but those MacGyvers run 24 hours a day, but I'd still rather have them on Blu-ray. I'm going to get it. So here's the thing that just blew me away when this came in. So this comes in and I'm thinking, you know, gosh, what's Andy Samberg been doing since he left SNL like three or four years ago? <laughs> uh, and, and then I realized, holy crap, he did eight seasons of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah. Where did that go? Yeah, Tim Roll, dude. Yeah, made, 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 made two movies and did eight seasons of that since SNL. And you're absolutely right. That's ridiculous. <sighs> well, anyway. Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I didn't think would go past a single season, not because it's not funny. It's just it's hard to sustain that level of funny. But, it's, but, but, but it, is, and it is a single joke. It is. <laughs> yes, it is. It's just, it it's is. just the one joke. And, and, yeah. and, and I couldn't, after a season, not even a season, I couldn't. Yeah. Well, but it's still, I mean. He's there got it is. Great, yeah, there it is. He's got a great supporting cast. Uh, you know, uh, Andy Samberg is very, very funny. Everybody around him is funny. So uh, it's a funny show. 153 episodes in eight years. Somehow they they made that work, man. That's unreal. There it is. Yeah, the the people love it. The original Incredible Hulk plus two TV movies, five seasons, 80 episodes, two television movies. Um, uh, Lou Ferrigno, uh, you know, 
basically playing the uh, the the Bill Bixby character after you don't like me when I'm <laughs> yeah. dude. I gotta say this. I'm sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna blow the joke, but who cares? This is like there's a moment in there's a moment in Morph in in Morbius. Now, I mean, if you don't know Morbius, Jared Leto, the whole yeah. thing is basically uh, another hulky thing from Marvel Comics, right? Like it's 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 vampires. It's Dracula meets meets uh, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in a variation on The Incredible Hulk, which is already a variation on, on Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. <laughs> yeah. Tim, Tim, I, I swear, you're going to you, – do not see do not see Morbius in a theater if you have to see it because you will take your drink and you will hurl <laughs> it at the screen when Jared Leto says, you won't like me when I'm hungry. <laughs> I was like, okay, see that now – it, uh, it, that just camps the whole thing up to a level. It's like it's a little wink at the Incredible Hulk in a way that took me right out of the movie. Don't make me hungry. Mm. You don't like me when I'm hungry. Oh, shut mm. up! Wasn't, wasn't wasn't Jared supposed to be? Uh, well, let's we can talk about Jared in the House of Gucci. But I guess you know why I bring that up. Wasn't Jared supposed? Didn't he play uh, the Joker or the Riddler for thirty seconds in one of the? Yes, he was. He was the Joker in the. He was the Joker three times. He was the Joker in the original Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He was the Joker for a minute in uh, Batman versus Superman. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking right? of. Mm-hmm. And then he's also the Joker in the additional material that Zack Snyder shot for Zack Snyder's Justice League. He shows up at the very end in the nightmare future flash forward sequence, okay. which we'll never actually see resolved. No, no. So no. he's been he's been the Joker three times. Okay, and, interesting. And, and and I just want to I want to apologize to our listeners that I am unbelievably ashamed that I know that. <laughs> I, I, I knew some of it. I don't. But it's just it's just a weird thing now. This Morbius Morbius situation. I don't know. It, it, maybe he just has really good agents or something like that. I don't know. I but, don't know. But but the, the the worst part of Morbius is the way like for example. Oh, this is so shameless, and I hate knowing this as well. The only reason that anything from the Marvel Universe, from the Marvel comic books, can be made by Columbia and and Sony is under their Spider-Man contract, right? Because they have the rights to the Spider-Man character as long as they keep doing it. They have to Mm -hmm. do it every so often, so they've got to keep making Spider-Man movies. And then somebody over there figured out a loophole, which was, hey, as long as somebody actually says uh, Spider-Man, at some point in the, in the movie, they can basically use any Marvel character they want. And that's how Venom happened. Mm. And somebody's like, well, we might want to call Spider-Man about this. And that's all they need. They just need somebody to actually say Spider-Man. And, and now they, you can make hmm. something as well. And, and that's what, how Morbius is happening. Is you, you, It's absolutely shameful. They apparently are going to tie it in eventually. But as long as somebody says, I think that has something to do with Spider-Man. Meanwhile, just carry on and do the whole a movie that has nothing to do with Spider Man. It's infuriating. A lawyer who knows how to read a contract. Uh, We're supposed to be talking about the Incredible Hulk. Incredible Hulk. So you won't like him when he's angry. Lou Ferrigno, Lou Ferrigno, and Bill Bixby. Uh, Hey, look, Lou, Lou, Lou is still the only actual Incredible Hulk, you know, incarnation of that I've I've ever believed on film or in television. Uh, All of the rest of them has have been CGI crap. Plus, Lou uh, was in was in was in was in that movie with Bridget uh, uh, and, and God oh, yeah. spoke. Lou is in that movie and he, and he grabs right. he grabs Andy Dick by the neck and throws it I remember throws that back in 1992. So gotta love me some Lou made a movie. Awesome. Well, this actually has special features, Tim. It actually has no. bonus material. There are introductions with Lou Ferrigno and Kenneth Johnson. Love me, Kenneth Johnson, one of the great producers uh, and and television icons of that era. Uh, also integrally involved in the uh, Six Million Dollar Man. 
mm-hmm. remembering the Incredible Hulk, an American classic, great little documentary bit, as well as behind the success, the story of it, gag reel, ton of commentaries. <coughs> really, really, actually, a, a lot of fun to revisit this show, and it's on Blu-ray, and it looks beautiful. They remastered that whole damn show, shot on film mm-hmm. in high def, and it's mm-hmm. great. You know, you know why the Incredible Hulk worked in it today, and and, and and people who get that set and watch this today, watch Bill Bixby. Yep, uh, Bill Bixby played it completely and totally straight, and for and for and for drama. And yeah. he's and he's wonderful in the. Incredible oh, he's Hulk. so good. You know, and yeah, the, the the goofy stuff happens, and here comes Lou. But all of the stuff that's Bill Bixby in anguish, or trying to save the baby, or trying to you know, yeah. every time he has to change into the Incredible Hulk, he nails that. Every time, every time he was, he was a really, really good actor. Yeah, he was, and and you know you saw that Bill Bixby had a really interesting TV career, and I'm so sorry we lost him prematurely, but yeah. he went from being uh, an amazing physical and slapstick character actor on My Favorite Martian, basically doing his impression of Larry Hagman on I Dream of Jeannie, mm. who was already doing a little bit of Dick York, what he was doing on Bewitched. Like they kind of all transferred, they all borrowed from each other. They're all yeah. doing the same kind of guy which is the person who's attached to the magical person who has to keep them a secret. Yeah. And you got to do a lot of slapstick, you know, they're all variations on a theme. And then he went from that to courtship of Eddie's father, mm-hmm. which was, you know, an Drama. adaptation of, the, of the, of a Vincent Minnelli film. And it was, and suddenly you're like, Oh, this guy's got chops. He's not yeah. just a goofball. And, and then he shows up in the incredible Hulk, which is all pulp. Well, the magician, the magician. Oh, the magician. Your, oh, you're right. The magician was right before the incredible Hulk. Yeah. 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 Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Bixby's real, man. He is, he was the, he was the real deal. Uh, wonderful, wonderful actor. Uh, we got the complete set of Vikings, oh, uh, all six seasons here. They brought it to a merciful end at, at a certain point. I, I watched, I think maybe three of these, like one. And, and then I watched a couple other seasons because my, my ancestor, the first Duke of Normandy wound up on this thing as a character. And I'm like, oh, now I'm invested. I got to see how they depict Rollo, the first Duke of Normandy. Now, the goofy thing about me, having, you know, I've always been so proud. I'm descended from the first Duke of Normandy, who was a Norwegian Viking who commanded a Danish fleet. What about you? Well, it turns out something like 25 million people are all descended from Rollo. So it ain't special. Looked into my wife's genealogy. She's descended from him, too. I'm descended from him like nine different ways. Tim, I kid you not, you're descended from him. Oh, it's almost guaranteed. This, it's just like these family lines just all keep connecting. So anyway, Uh, that was very unremarkable. But 89 episodes and 27 discs, a show that has absolutely nothing to do with Vikings whatsoever, because Gabriel Byrne is in the first season of this thing, which made no sense. And anyway, uh, it eventually was just a bunch of guys in mohawks with swords and shields uh, pretending to be Vikings, which. Yeah, a lot of a lot of, <laughs> lot of blood and a lot of swords. I am, however, looking forward to the uh, new uh, Edgar. Uh, what's his name? Movie. Edgar Wright. I did, Edgar no, Wright. I got did the right the lighthouse. Oh, that uh, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, his his new Viking movie uh, looks brutal. <laughs> it looks absolutely just sick and wrong and horrific. He did the Robert, Ro- Ro- Robert Eggers. Robert, Robert Eggers. Robert yeah, Eggers. Thank yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, uh, yeah. I. I uh, uh, I'll, I'll remember his name when he becomes better. Uh, his movies just freak me out a little bit. And then last on the TV front, before we kind of start to wrap this this uh, this show up, uh, Tim, they finally put Magnum PI out on Blu-ray, and yes. I do not mean the new Magnum no. PI. I mean my Magnum, my yes. Tosselic Magnum, is on Blu-ray. Complete series. I could not be happier. Um, it's been out overseas on Blu-ray for a few years. Uh, it's finally out here. And uh, thank you, Mill Creek. Uh, this is just such a godsend. 
this show still holds up, man. It oh, yeah. still holds up. I, I and I know again, it's like the the Gomer Goober thing. If I meet somebody where I say to them, "Hey, Ivan, did you see the sunrise?" and they <laughs> smile back at me, I know. Kip uh, spirit, man. Oh, man. That was just such a heavy episode. Oh. And it's just like, you know, Donald P. Belisario uh, and, Glenn, and Glenn Larson, of course. And, yeah. You know, and it's just, it was just like, it, it was the perfect balance of a certain kind of humor and male camaraderie, you know, Tom and, 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 and Hillman and Roger and male camaraderie, all that kind of perfect yeah. balance of, of, of all of that and in seriousness, like these, these, these cases. That Magnum would get would, would sometimes be these really really serious cases, and they then were. and then this wonderful through line that involved a, you know their service in Vietnam and things that happened in Vietnam and and, and all the way bring bring us all the way up to that hey Ivan, and it got it got surreal later on where you know his his deceased buddy is showing up as kind of a ghost mentoring him you know they they took some real narrative chances in those later seasons. Yeah. And um, the I, I mean, all of the 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 sinews of this show, you know, is Robin real? Is he not real? Orson Welles being the voice, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a couple of times. Um, this this mysterious uh, author figure who owns the estate but never shows up on the show. I mean, there are a lot of really cool tidbits to it. The Ferrari, but it is it it really is the camaraderie between those three guys um, with Roger e. Mosley and Larry Minetti as as TC and Rick, you know, that they are, they are Vietnam buddies yeah. and they've, and they've stuck together all this time. And that, that really is amazing. I first, I first saw Larry Minetti, I think like the year before Magnum, he was on a, a short lived show called the Duke, which was this Robert Conrad show, the show oh, yeah. in Chicago yeah. where, you know, it's like, uh, I still remember the theme to it. Isn't that weird? Robert, Con- <laughs> Robert Conrad's an ex boxer turned private eye and Larry Minetti's kind of playing the same thing that he does here. But, um, man, it just clicked for everybody on this show. And there's one episode in particular that I really, really enjoyed, which is um, where Anne Lockhart and June Lockhart play uh, the same character, where he, it's, it's June Lockhart hires him. And in the flashbacks, Anne, her daughter, is yeah. playing June as her younger self. I love and it's that. Really, and, and I thought that is so smart and so beautiful that you you pull that stunt. Uh, it's stunt casting, but I love it. Yeah. So anyway, Magna PI on Blu-ray, a lot of good extras on here as well. Uh, there are new interviews with Mike Post and with all many of the filmmakers. Um, there are also two episodes, two episodes from the Rockford Files featuring Tom Selleck as the character that inspired them mm-hmm. to do Magnum. Mm-hmm. Put them up. Put them up. Really <laughs> puts them up. Fabulous. Just fabulous. Uh, Tom Selleck was so good. So you don't need to go get the Rockford files to have those episodes. They're on here. And then there's audio commentaries and featurettes and more. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's an awful lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, let's see, before we wrap everything up, uh, let's hit just a couple of these, uh, BBC titles here. Um, which I think are, there's some of these are, are really worth mentioning, uh, to the manor born, the complete collection is, uh, a lot of fun. Penelope Keith and Peter Bowles. Uh, this is the, the silver anniversary addition to this, uh, absolutely classic series that kind of foreshadows uh, a lot of other British kind of romance series like, mm. uh, oh gosh, there's a whole bunch of them, but the, uh, this is really quite nice. And, um, it's, uh, it, you know, the, the, um, the way that they depict this very, very upper crust aristocratic relationship is also kind of poking, you know, gently poking at the British class system. And, mm. uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a really sharp show. And this, you know, this from the 1970s, 
20 original episodes, ran for three seasons, uh, and it's it's absolutely wonderful. So I, I got to believe, I got to believe, this is P, that's Peter Spence, as you said, uh, and, and I got to believe Julian Fellows. Oh, in yeah. Late, in, in the late 70s was, was, was you know, you know, I mean, yeah, not, it's just you, you you get informed by these things, you know, but yep. upstairs, downstairs and all that kind of stuff. But I have to believe in the late 70s. Yeah. I used to watch that show. Yeah, it's great. And then we get uh, season 24 of Silent Witness, believe it or not. Um, I don't know why this isn't sort of more famous here, but, um, you know, 24. I don't know. I don't know what you what you say about something that's been on the air that long. It's like second only to, to Doctor Who, I think, probably in in. Uh, in the UK. Uh, so as far as, you know, these, these particular uh, procedural shows go, um, this one's top notch and it continues to be top notch. And uh, Amelia Fox is absolutely wonderful. Should be doing features, but uh, mm-hmm. nonetheless, really, really good on here. <clears throat> better than, you know, law and order. And I'm, I'm not dissing law and order, but it's, it's better than law and order. Yeah. This, uh, so, forensic. Uh, for, it, it, what was that show? Bones. Yeah, it's a little bit like Bones. A little bit more, yeah, like Bones, yeah. Yeah, a little bit like that. All right, well, Tim, that's uh, that's it. I'm uh, We're at, we're, we're going to be gone for spring break. Oh. So um, you have an absolutely wonderful time the next few weeks. We'll, we'll reconnect in hopefully a better world where, um, you know, we've, we've put the Oscar nonsense behind us. We have yeah. no idea what the Academy is going to do to discipline Will Smith, if at all. Something will likely be done. Yeah. The rumor is there are certain governors who, who feel like like really drastic action has to be taken to preserve the Academy's integrity. And we will see. The Academy has to be careful with all that, man. Uh, Look, uh, Polanski is still walking around here. Just be careful. Yeah. I, and and I agree with that. The, you know, I thought that the, they were way too hasty in the way they rewrote the bylaws after uh, Harvey and Cosby that they they were like, oh, we got to get rid of these guys. These other guys are going to tarnish us. Well, they wrote these bylaws in a way that allowed them to eject people after the fact. Mm. So uh, that sort of like violates American jurisprudence. Now, again, it's a private organization. They can do what they want. What they American want, yeah. jurisprudence is, you know, if I did something and then you pass a law tomorrow that says it's a crime, you can't arrest me after the fact for committing the crime. Yeah. It was not a crime yesterday. So ejecting Polanski is is was a low blow, uh, especially decades after the fact. You know, Cosby and and Harvey kind of on the bubble. It was sort of in that moment, uh, but they realized they didn't have a morals clause, and they wrote it uh, really, really broadly to be able to do what they wanted. And now I think they face the dilemma of holy crap, we may wind up having to uh, kick a lot of people out of the academy for otherwise negligible or forgivable offenses. And I don't think you want to start doing that either. You got to be so, careful, man. I'm just saying. Does Woody, does, 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 does Woody stand the Academy? Uh, Woody Allen. Uh, yeah. you, I mean, by, by their measure, to, to me, of course, he's in the Academy. But 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 what are we, what 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 counts? What's the yeah. equivalent or worse than the karate chop to the neck? Uh, of, of, uh, I, you know, I just, you know, because I got to tell you, you know, if, if you're going around, yeah. You know, anyway, whatever. Just be careful. Yeah. Uh, is is all I have to say. And and to me, you you know. The most effective thing to do would be to do nothing and ignore him forever. <laughs> That's yeah. what I would do. I would yeah. just say, like, we're not doing anything. We're done. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and, uh, and, and we don't, we, we will not be talking about that anymore. 
Uh, you, sometimes you stop talking about a thing, it goes away all by itself. And, and, and I, you know, I'll tell you something, uh, having that experience, just if you have kids in school, you very quickly realize that uh, kids will leave a thing alone and it goes away. It's the parents yeah. who don't like to leave it alone. Yeah. And there's a lot of wisdom in that. Yeah. Sometimes you learn from the kids. Outstanding, brother. All right, Tim. We'll uh, we'll catch up in a few weeks. It's good. Thank you.